This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. That's what we do on this program. Give you a leg up in life. Give you the information, the latest, the greatest. Some of it's even important to you. All of it. All of it's important. Sometimes you wonder because, boy, I didn't even know that was happening today. But uh, we bring it to you, give you uh, the information you need, and then you can decide if you use it in your life or not. Come on. It's up to you. Today we've got a a great show where we're going to be talking about energy dominance. Is that the right goal for the United States uh, for U.S. policy Donald Trump brought it up, I think, uh, with the Russians. No, at the G20 meeting that we're, we're going to get independent, more independent. G20, with... isn't that that gaming uh, expo that they've got? Uh, no, no. This would be the leaders of uh, many, many countries. Remember, he visited Poland and then had um, all of the fun talking about the Fran- France's leaders, uh, Macron's wife's physical shape and health. Well, I'm pretty sure the Polish and the French also like video games. So So maybe that's what they were doing. Yeah. Who knows? So we'll be talking energy dominance, of course. Uh, Also, um, giving you the empty news. The news that that empty, like some people, I think when I say that, they think I mean like empty, like without anything in it. No, I mean M-T, the initials Matt Townsend News. Yeah, there's certainly substance there. I mean, I mean, yeah. Well, many would argue. Well, many would be wrong. (laughs) Yes, they would. And uh, so we'll get to that. Uh, Sad news with with John McCain. Don't know if you heard about that. He's got a brain tumor. Yeah. That's tragic. And uh, a great leader, and he's going to battle it. In fact, uh, a lot of the senators now are coming out saying, oh, boy, this glioblastoma has no idea what it's in for. (laughs) <laughs> John McCain. Yeah, I mean, he's, he survived. The Hanoi Hilton? Yeah. The, yeah. My goodness. If he can handle that, he can take this on. And again, um, it actually probably makes some sense why he was struggling a few weeks ago because he was having a hard time in some of the yeah. hearings. And So, boy, isn't it crazy how the world turns? How old is he? He's 80. 80, 80. Oh, my goodness. 80 years young. Wow. Even President uh, Obama, who uh, beat him in an election, said, oh, yeah, yeah, that cancer's got a really big problem coming its way. (laughs) So um, it really is crazy, isn't it, how the world turns? Just one one guy gets a diagnosis, and then all of a sudden you realize how fragile life really is. It's just just how it works. So we'll be, I'm sure, touching in on that as well as other headlines. Um, So much to cover including also is uh, apparently Donald Trump has had like 900 and something tweets his first since he was elected president. And that's down from about 10,000. So he's heading in the right direction. (laughs) 991 tweets. By the way, apparently, according to CNN, uh, in his first six months, 991 tweets and zero pieces of major legislation. Wow. I don't know if that's a diss or if that's just stating the facts. How would how would one determine if it's a major legislation? Nine hundred ninety-one tweets to the American public. 
You know what? By the way, last night, uh, speaking of singing, I went to Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And you performed. I didn't, but I wanted to so badly. I loved it. It was incredible. Was this the one with Donnie or Tito Osmond? Uh, this this was just a, kind of more of a local performance. So oh, okay. Tito nor neither Tito nor Donnie were okay. involved. But I then went home and watched Donnie do the same songs. Really? And they were good too. Donnie's Donnie's got some pipes. I would hope so. Yeah, it's an interesting show because um, it's the Bible. It's a Bible story, but. You know, you kind of feel like you see a little bit of everything in the show. Every kind of genre of music from Elvis to a Western to kind of like a little French, I don't know, a little French cafe. Wow. All in this one show. You know, I didn't think they could do an entire show about a coat. Oh, I know. Who would have thought, you know? I mean, I get it if shoes, you know. It may stretch the truth a little bit. I don't know that the coat was technicolored. Oh, no, it was. Oh, it was. Do you not read the Bible? I guess I I didn't see that word in the Bible. Yeah, technicolor. That's, I think, the first usage of the word technicolor was in the Bible. Interesting. Talking about Joseph and his brothers, yeah. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? O.J. Simpson in court today, 1 p.m. Eastern. On a streaming channel or cable channel near you. Apparently ESPN is shutting down all operations to cover this. It's that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. As it says, I found this article this morning. It says, no one has registered to testify against the 70-year-old Simpson, who has been in prison for nine years. So he's going to walk in. He's going to say his his piece, and no one's going to testify against him. Apparently one of the guards did catch him doing something he shouldn't have been doing. In front of a guard, and mm-hmm. that may impact. Wasn't the he? Hearing. Wasn't we'll he the see. bookkeeper in prison? He was. He no, was. He cleans the gym. He cleans oh, the gym, he cleans and the he's gym. the dean of the <sighs> softball team, or something like. He's Somebody. the commissioner of the. Softball I don't think team. he sprayed down the equipment after he used it one day. <laughs> there's been, got there's been talk of a reality TV show, but if that does happen, the money will likely go to the uh, families of the murder victims. Yeah, but he does have an NFL pension, which apparently isn't going to be touched by those he. May or may not have wronged if really? we go with what the court said. Uh, he will still receive the NFL pension, estimated at $25,000 a month. So he'll what? be okay. He'll be but fine. But that doesn't go to families? The pensions uh, are not touchable, I guess? Apparently not. I'm not sure how all that works. I need a wow. pension. I need a pension. But uh, no, no word on if he'll answer for the crime of being the individual who inflicted the Kardashians upon the world. They wouldn't be a yes, thing if no. their dad wasn't on the legal team for O.J. That's a great point. Thank you, O.J. Yet another thing we have to blame on O.J. <laughs> that crime may rise to the level of a world court, but we'll have to see Do how that goes. Do you think O.J. is going to be surprised by the movies that they've made about him? Do you think he's been he able knows. to see them? Have you seen him, though? They watch TV in Are you talking about Naked Gun? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Those were horrible. Oh, they were wonderful. No, I know. You loved them. I know. Yeah. No, they're great. Mm-hmm. In other news, laptops, tablets on U.S.-bound flights from Mexico will be suspended to heighten carry-on security measures beginning Wednesday at the request of U.S. Department of Homeland Security. So that started yesterday. Just from Mexico? Just from Mexico. Mexico Transportation Department said in a statement that the measure is applied to electronics larger than a cell phone. The department recommends that passengers travel with as few of those devices as possible in carry-on bags. It did not give any details on the checks or uh, other to say that they will be placed separately from baggage without cases or covers. John Kelly, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary, announced Wednesday 
that the officials tested a laptop bomb on a real airplane and what he said and that to say the least it destroyed the plane Kelly was speaking at the Aspen Security Forum. Oh, boy. Nothing. Hold on. The Aspen Security Forum. Noting that such bombs could be hidden in a variety of small electronic devices. So they tested it on the plane. It probably blew a wall out of the plane, just like it happened. I I mean, it happens. There was a plane flying around. It was in Nigeria, I think, and it blew out. Aspen, France, according to Dem and Dumber. Yeah, that's right. Right. An Ohio man says his prosthetic leg helped save his life after he went overboard during a fishing trip. Adam Shannon says he was fishing on Donner Lake near his home in Ohio Monday evening when his seat on his boat broke, sending him into the water. His prosthetic leg came off as he went into the lake. The 45-year-old was able to use his leg as a flotation device when it got trapped in his pants and filled up with air. Oh, boy. Shannon called 911 for help, and his yelling attracted the attention of a family who lives nearby, and he was saved. And he says he doesn't know what he would have done if he didn't have his leg. That is – that's great. Waited. I mean, he thought it out, figured out a. I, it might have just been the circumstance, like oh, grab something, and oh, hey, that's my leg. Hey, that's my leg. Uh, in what me- would happen if someone else grabbed his leg, though? That would have been weird. Then you'd since have a he was fight, alone. right? But well, you'd have the, a fight over a leg. It's probably well, better not to fish alone. Well, you said the leg was in his pants, so not a good it. chance somebody else he, was getting. By the way, a great place to put your leg. He was also able to make a phone call as he was in the water, so. Huh. Right, because it said he made a 911 phone call. So, I mean, he's in yeah, the water, makes that, a phone call. It sounded like he was in distress, but then now it's just maybe, you know, a, a day at the beach with your leg. Not sure. I'm sure it wasn't all that pleasant. Yeah. NBC is used to creating news program for TV, but now they're going – because young people aren't watching TV, they're going to start making a uh, twice-daily newscast for Snapchat. Oh, good. It's called Stay Tuned. That's the TV show. Oh, great. So just like if you're on Snapchat and you need like a quick news update. Yeah, it'll be in the morning and then they'll have an update in the afternoon. And it'll be about two, two and a half minutes. How many people do you think you need to hire to do a two, two and a half minute little newscast? Um, One. At least ten. Oh, yeah. One weekly? Uh, No. Oh. NBC, they have uh, two anchors. Oh, wow. And 30 full-time employees. What? I was closer. <laughs> okay, can I just suggest that's not a good ROI? You still have your TV operation who can create a lot of the content that you would use on it's this. It's two and a half minutes. It's a video, and then you post it to a. So it's app. five minutes a, an hour. That's like warming up a bowl of soup. You uh, pay no, five 30, a day. An, it's, two, oh. it's one newscast in the morning and one in the evening. Oh, my heavens. Five minutes a day. And you're paying 32 people. Full-time employees. Okay. Can I – do you want to bet this isn't going to stay the same way? I bet it will eventually come down to one 18-year-old uh, intern from Columbia School of Journalism. Right. Five minutes. That's two Marvel trailers back-to-back. It's true. Do you always think of everything in terms of trailers? I just said soup. <laughs> and I don't even eat soup all that much. See, I read that. I'm like, that ah, seems like they've overstaffed a bit there. But I don't yeah. know. What does it take to put on a newscast? Well, I don't know. We try to do it every we day. We try every morning. A fidget spinners are now the hot new children's toy. Hold uh, on. They were. More, yeah, I know, really. I know. But maybe they're also an American plot to topple the Russian government. Ah. Those who understand. <laughs> Those who understand political technologies, they understand very clearly that the simple thing is controlling the masses, the New York Times quotes an editor-in-chief of 
politrussia.ru. So it's a political site in Russia. Mm. Uh, multiple reports about the dangers of fidget spinners have been appearing on Russian state media in uh, recent weeks. It started with Rosea 24, that's one of their TV stations, yeah. claiming opposition politicians were using them to gain the support of young Russians. An opposition leader was seen playing with a fidget spinner in court, and the toys were being sold at an opposition protest. Mm. <laughs> Re- reporters say fidget spinners make it easy to uh, divert attention from the real problems, but the fidget spinner phenomena could be even more insidious than that. Commentators in uh, Russia say the toys might be attempt to, an attempt to zombify the people Ooh. in Russia and make them open to manipulation. Newsweek reports commentators went on the, to claim users of fidget spinners could experience a form of hypnosis. Okay, yeah. They oh, added yeah. that playing with the toy dulls the mind and takes you to a different place. Hold on. Isn't that what Netflix is for? Yes. Russia TV reports, uh, they point out that the package of a, fin- a fidget spinner purchased in Moscow bore only English writing. <gasps> Russia Consumers Pro- the Protection Agency is now investigating the toys and encourages parents to supervise children using fidget spinners because they're trying to zombify the people. Boy. Whoa. They could write anything on that package and these kids would be none the wiser. Oh, they could say, sure. like, <laughs> all praise Trump. Yeah. Well, they'd say the word Trump, and they go, oh. Yeah, maybe. Is zombify a word? It is now. Yes. Have you ever been zombified? Uh, yeah, a few times. Yeah. There are probably apps that will adjust your photo to look like a zombie. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all been zombified, like when you zone out oh, yeah. watching a show, you know, sports. Well, and sometimes when I get really hungry, you know, and I look across – the desk here, I think. Huh? That that mat looks pretty tasty. Really? Wow. Yeah. My child on an iPad. Yeah. He just glazes over. Did Jeff just say he would eat me? Yeah, I was trying to move on from that. Well, every once we've in a while. We've gotten in trouble in the past when we got to that topic, so I wanted yeah. to. Every once in a while, we worry that, that we're going to be locked in here. I just want to plan ahead. Yeah. Ugh. Speaking of zombies. I mean, you're the only one that is a doctor in here. Yeah. And as so, everybody know, Doctor Doctor Flesh is better. We can okay. move on. Hey, we can move uh, on. Did you see the legs of the Tour de France um, participant, Paul Poljanski? He's 27 years old, and after 16 stages of the famous uh, Tour de France, he showed his legs. Oh, the spider vein legs. Holy cow let me see we've got to post it on our uh twitter feed they (sighs) i am telling you a vein expert could make a lot of money on this guy his legs have more veins in in it than you i mean you can't imagine it is it doesn't look right plus he's got sunburns like on his knees his kneecaps his kneecaps are sunburned which is always painful but they're almost leathery wow you know what though he's an anesthesiologist's dream though yeah, he's yeah. so easy to find a vein. Oh yeah, wow. Which vein should we choose today? <laughs> but it makes you wonder: is it worth all of this in sports? Because I mean, sure, it's he. You know, he's in great shape, but I don't know if it's good to have that many veins poking out that far. I mean, one of them could get hooked on something. You know, just while you're walking by a. You know, you could be walking by a, a something at the store and catch a vein. <laughs> Anyway, crazy. I don't know why that just reminded me of a zombie. That's just that's just all. 
What am I doing? Talking about a guy's veins on my show. Hey, at least it's not Dr. Flesh. That's right. Next up, we're going to be talking about energy dominance. Should the United States really be seeking to dominate the energy, global energy world and market? You know, it's a big decision. And uh, it is one of the goals, apparently, of our administration. We'll be talking about energy up next. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, President Trump's administration has introduced a new buzzword to the American energy sector. They call it American energy dominance. Many of his representatives have made stops in energy-producing states like Alaska, North Dakota, Texas, and Utah to talk about the notion of energy dominance. But what is energy dominance, and what does it mean for the future of us uh, turning on and off our lights here in the United States? Is it a goal that we should really be seeking after? Here today to talk with us about it is Senior Research Associate of Public Policy at the University of Michigan, Daniel Ramey. And uh, he's going to walk us through an article he wrote in theconversation.com. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today. Morning, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Is is energy dominance? I mean, I guess that's kind of a new term. It seemed like the United States was always dependent, energy dependent, or we have a lot of energy here, but we were always dependent on other places. Is dominance really what we're after? Yeah, well, it's, uh, the terminology of this discussion is is pretty fascinating. Uh, dominance is a is a new word in the energy discussion. Um, it's just come up in the last couple of years uh, with the the rise of uh, then candidate Trump and now President Trump and his administration. Uh, for decades, as you rightly point out, uh, U.S. policymakers have been talking about the idea of energy independence. And uh, when policymakers talk about independence, they often are referring to uh, the U.S.'s reliance on imported crude oil. Mm. And uh, so when you hear talk about independence, that's usually code word for, uh, for imports of crude oil, particularly imports of crude oil from countries uh, that might not share our interests and values, countries like Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, or Iran. So, so really... We, we we're always talking about just being independent and, and being able to get, I guess, energy from um, sources that we could rely on. Is that what we meant by the independent side of it or anything yeah. that's imported? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the terminology here is, is actually problematic. So when uh, when policymakers or others use the term independence, it actually shows a, a fundamental misunderstanding of the way that global oil markets work. See, global oil markets, um, they uh, are uh, very deep, very liquid. Oil is relatively easy to transport anywhere around the world, both on, uh, on big tankers, uh, on trucks, through pipelines. Uh, there's a variety of ways to move crude oil around. And so what ends up happening is um, there is no such thing as independence from the global oil market. Because oil can be moved so easily from country to country, when oil prices go up in one part of the world, they go up everywhere. Everywhere, right. So uh, one useful example here is to think about our northern neighbor of Canada. Uh, Canada is a large oil exporter. Uh, We actually get most of our imported oil from Canada through pipelines. Now, 
Canada produces far more than they consume. So they are energy independent, hmm. uh, at least according to the, the standards of, of U.S. rhetoric. But when Canadians uh, go to the gasoline station to fill up their cars, they see the same prices that we do in the United States. Mm. Being independent, being an exporter of oil doesn't make you immune from the global oil market. Um, in fact, there, there is no one who is immune from the global oil market. Everyone faces the same prices in the same market. That's interesting. So really, yeah, it, w- when we say independence, we, you're never going to be free of the global oil uh, world and and structure. I, I guess the idea is, though, that we wouldn't, if push came to shove, we could get all of our own oil from the U.S., but that you're saying that won't matter price-wise, that won't matter in a lot of ways. Right. Prices, I think, are the, the thing that concern us the most, right? When, right. when people are uh, filling up their cars at the gas station, the, the difference between $2 a gallon gasoline and $4 a gallon gasoline is a really huge thing. Uh, not just for individual consumers, but for the entire U.S. economy. And when prices go up at the pump, that's when policymakers really hear it from uh, from their constituents. Hmm. And that's when you tend to see the most rhetoric around the idea of independence, energy independence. Interesting. And um, that, that... I actually um, – sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, you go ahead. Uh, one interesting data point on this is – if you look at Google search trends for the term energy independence, um, that is the number of times people type in energy independence into Google, people search for that term much more often when oil prices are high than when they're low. So people's interest in independence, it doesn't track actual imports or exports, it tracks prices. And how fascinating is that? I didn't know people would go searching like that. Hey, man, my I just had to pay a lot of money to fill up my car. I'm going to go search independence, energy or, uh, yeah, uh, oil independence, fuel independence. But this is different than the new word we're using of energy dominance. This That seems like a whole other can of worms. Yeah, it really does. Um, and when I first heard this term, uh, my first thought was uh, was to a sports analogy. So when I think about someone who is dominant or a group that is dominant, I think about Roger Federer at Wimbledon, or I think about the Golden State Warriors at basketball, right? These are teams and individuals that can dominate their opponents. And in, in the energy market, it's really, really hard to dominate anyone. Mm. Um, one example of this is uh, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, or OPEC. Right? They're probably the closest thing we have in the oil world to the Golden State Warriors. Right? They're, a, they're a powerful organization that has some control over global oil and gas prices. Um, but in the last couple of years, OPEC has really struggled to manage the oil market. They've made a variety of decisions at their regular meetings to cut production and try to boost oil prices to, uh, to increase their own revenues. But that really hasn't worked. And that's in part because of increased production from the United States. But even more so, uh, it's really an indication that it's incredibly difficult for any one entity to exert control, let alone dominance, uh, over global energy markets. How fascinating. It, uh, it really is about, um, it's important, I guess, to know our terms and it really, it seems like a healthier goal instead of like world domination. Um, it seems like might be more just to be 
uh, a top exporter of our reason. I mean, if, if your goal is is to improve or increase uh, energy, um, not dominance, but increase energy exports, that I am assuming would bring jobs. It would bring revenue. It would bring a lot of uh, a lot of positives to America. Is that really what President Trump is talking about? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think that is part of it. And uh, the word dominance is, you know, to me, it's it's not the right way to portray the types of goals that we would right. want to be shooting for as an energy producer and as an energy consumer. So, um, so one term that uh, energy researchers like uh, and that I like is uh, the term energy security. Hmm. And energy security. Uh, suggests that you're able to get energy in a reliable way. It's not going to be disrupted unexpectedly. Um, that energy is affordable. That you know when you pull into the gas station or when you pay your monthly electricity bill, you're not breaking the bank. Uh, and that energy is sustainable. That the production of energy and the consumption of energy uh, isn't overly damaging to our environment. Yeah. No, that and that what a great uh, title or word that is, energy security, because and we may not know this in America, but we do export some of our oil right down to, for example, Curacao, which then has Venezuelan refineries that are making money on our oil. That's right. And that uh, that point uh, really speaks to the global nature of oil markets and also to the fact that decisions about buying and selling energy in the oil market or in the coal market or in the natural gas market, uh, anywhere in the world of energy, those decisions are not made by governments, at least not in the United States. Mm. Uh, In the United States, we have a, a free market system, more or less, where decisions about buying and selling energy are made by private uh, firms and individuals. And so, any uh, U.S. president or any secretary of energy or any U.S. official is not going to be able to say, um, hey, Mr. Oil Exporter, we want you to only send your, our oil to our friends. Oil is going to go where it receives the highest price. Yeah, because market, right? It's a market. You're, it's a market force, not a, a government policy. That's exactly right. Powerful. So I guess so. Is this just a little naivete from um, maybe the Trump administration going in when they because it was saying this as as he was candidate Trump. But when we're using the word dominance, it's probably saying you don't understand energy markets. Well, it's it's really hard to know, um, you know, the motivations of a, a term like this. Um, you know, it sounds good. Energy dominance sounds like a, you know, a strong posture. Uh, and strength on the global stage is clearly something that the administration has been uh, focused on. So, it, you know, as, as a term, it might be a useful marketing term, but it isn't really a useful term in, uh, in order of um, defining the proper goals for U.S. policy. Hmm. Now, one point I do want to make that that you've touched on, Matt, um, that I uh, haven't really emphasized is there has been, over the last 10 years in the United States, uh, an incredible revolution in energy production. And uh, my critique of the term energy dominance, I, I don't mean to downplay the magnitude of that change. Um, Oil production in the U.S. is up about 75% over the last 10 years. Natural gas production is up about 40% in the last 10 years. 
Uh, and this is all due to uh, innovations in the oil and gas sector, uh, primarily related to horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing, also known as fracking, which has uh, really unlocked all sorts of new supplies uh, for the United States. And that increase in production it's benefited many, many communities around the U.S. I was actually out in Uinta County yeah. uh, and Carbon County, Duchesne County, a couple years ago meeting with local officials there. Uh, and, you know, the, the scale of uh, energy development that's happening there, it's really been a boost for the local economy. So there have been a lot of good things that have come with this energy revolution, um, but energy dominance is probably not one of them. Right. And it's interesting, too, but then OPEC, I think it was OPEC that steps in, adjusts the oil prices or, you know, or doesn't um, produce as much oil, and that changes the ability of these companies to even survive locally. So, again, it shows you even the global economy can shut this down or, and, or put pressure on these, these smaller American companies. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so the the last five years or so of oil markets and oil geopolitics have been really fascinating. So, uh, as U.S. oil production started surging around 2009, 2010, uh, OPEC uh, made the decision not to cut their own production, and therefore, uh, oil prices um, in 20, late 2014 and early 2015 as U.S. oil production continued to grow and OPEC also continued to increase their production, oil prices cratered. They went from about over $100 to, I think, as low as $30 in early 2016. Now, um, in response to that, OPEC actually has decided to cut their production and try to boost prices a little bit. But U.S. shale developers, uh, the, the small firms and sometimes large firms, that are out there drilling uh, in eastern Utah, drilling in North Dakota, drilling in different parts of Texas. These companies have continued to innovate, and they've continued to find ways to extract oil and natural gas at prices uh, far lower than we would have expected a few years ago. Boy, it is. It's a global it's a global game. Uh, we're speaking with Daniel Ramey. He is um, talking to us about energy dominance, a, f- a term that President uh, Trump uh, has cited as, as a goal for energy policy here in the United States. Next up, we're going to continue the discussion and uh, try to understand a little bit better where we go from here. What might be a more balanced approach other than domination? How do we create more energy security? That's next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us uh, is Dr. Or Daniel Ramey. He's an energy do- uh, energy uh, expert and is is a uh, is an author. Wrote an article: uh, Is energy dominance the right goal for U.S. policy? That's in theconversation.com. And Daniel is a senior research associate at Resources for the Future and a lecturer at the Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy at the University. Of Michigan, he works on a wide range of energy policy issues with focus on oil and gas regulation and taxation, climate change policies. Uh, Daniel, thank you again for being with us. 
Thanks for having me, Matt. Boy, can has anybody turned over energy policy, climate policy faster than President Trump? This has got to be a really interesting time for you. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and you're right that um, people who work on uh, energy and climate issues like I do and like many of my colleagues do at Resources for the Future, um, there, there's a lot to keep track of right now. Oh. And, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about um, the, the pace of change in energy and environmental policy is that you see or, or you saw during the campaign very strong rhetoric uh, from the Trump administration about reversing and rolling back um, the policies that were put in place by the uh, previous administration, the Obama administration. Uh, but, but what I think we see uh, when the rubber meets the road here is that energy systems and the climate system don't change in the blink of an eye. Mm. And so even though the Trump administration has begun taking action to uh, change some important environmental rules, uh, to open up uh, new opportunities for oil, gas, and coal developers, um, the, the size and scale of the global energy market means that we're not going to see very rapid changes in U.S. energy production or consumption um, you know, just in six months or a year of new federal policy. Hmm. Is it, it seems like there's a, a weird dichotomy going on where it's, it seems like it's either an, an either or. Either we utilize our energy resources um, and employ people and, and bring jobs back to America, or we don't and we lose jobs. We, coal miners lose their opportunities. Uh, the people in the middle America that are trying to, you know, produce energy in, in certain states, they just don't they don't have the boon that they're having. Is it really that big of a dichotomy or can you do both? Yeah, I think there are ways to do both. And um, unfortunately, the world of energy and climate change, it's a highly politicized issue, as I'm sure all your listeners know. And oftentimes it's hard to try to find those win-win outcomes. Now, it's true that um, pursuing ambitious climate change policies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the United States, that's not a free lunch. Um, if the United States were to um, go after the types of climate goals set forward, for example, in the Obama administration's uh, Clean Power Plan and other policies, that would have an effect on employment and the economic um, situations for many communities, particularly communities that depend on coal mining uh, as well as coal-fired power production. However, if you look at the big picture of the United States, um, there's actually quite a bit more job growth in uh, wind and solar power uh, than there is in uh, coal-fired, hmm. um, both mining uh, and electricity production. Now, the thing that's really tricky here is that in the United States as a whole, um, the effects of pers uh, pursuing climate policy probably would be pretty modest on the economy as a whole. But for those communities that have grown up around big coal mines or those communities that depend on the local coal-fired power plant, those changes can be really significant um, and points to uh, a really challenging nuance of pursuing any ambitious climate change policy. Hmm. 
You know, it's it, it really it's interesting how the impact of a move that a president makes it not only impacts community, um, but one thing that we've heard a lot about energy was we went to the Gulf War to get oil. It was an oil war. It's all about the oil. Is is that true? And and how I mean, what impact did because we've now been in wars for a long time um, that may have started apparently because of simple decisions about well terroristic attacks, but also uh, you know supposedly seeking after oil. Is is it that black and white? Well, you probably won't be surprised. <laughs> My answer is no. It's not that black and white. Um, the you know, if we think about the two wars that have been fought um, in uh, and around Iraq um, over the last, uh, I guess it's been about 30 years now, the, the first Gulf War in 1990-1991, that war really was mostly about securing oil markets, uh, not just for the United States, but for the entire world. Uh, Saddam Hussein's army had invaded Kuwait, had taken over their oil fields, they were threatening Saudi Arabia, which is the world's, um, one of the world's largest oil producers and the world's largest oil exporter. Mm. And, uh, and the United States didn't want uh, to see someone like Saddam Hussein have uh, as much power over the global oil market as he was threatening to have. Now, it wasn't just the United States that, that had that goal. There was a large coalition of countries that, uh, that joined the U.S. in the first Gulf War. So I would say the first Gulf War was mostly about uh, securing global oil. But the second war, the Iraq War, uh, started under the George W. Bush administration. I, I think the factors that contributed to that war were much more complex. Right. Uh, oil may have been uh, some part of it, but it, it seems to me that the, the overriding objectives of that war had to do with terrorism, had to do with uh, you know concerns about weapons of mass destruction, as well as um, you know the Bush administration's goal of kind of spreading democracy around the world. What would you advise the Trump, uh, the Trump administration, if they called you in, uh, I guess, other than saying, maybe let's lose the dominance phrase, maybe move to energy security, what should we be doing? What would you advise the government be doing to move towards being more energy secure? Yeah, so there are several things that, uh, that I think would be useful in terms of federal policy. Um, one of the most important uh, policy levers that we have is actually one that people don't talk about and think about so much, which is energy efficiency. And trying to get the same uh, bang for your energy, uh, for a, a smaller energy buck. Um, if uh, you can use one gallon of gasoline to go 25 miles or to go 50 miles, I think all of us would choose to go 50 miles on that one gallon of gasoline. And there are federal policies that are in place uh, that encourage that type of energy efficiency. Um, there's a lot of talk, as we um, spoke uh, earlier in this conversation, about energy independence. And the only way to become truly independent of the global oil market is to not use oil or to use less oil hmm. so that you can go further on that one gallon of gasoline. So energy efficiency is a really important policy goal that doesn't get as much attention as it probably should. Uh, another important policy goal that is, um, you know, doesn't make as many headlines, but it could be really uh, important is energy infrastructure. 
So uh, you'll remember that when I talked about energy security, I talked about energy that is reliable. Right. Now, um, the key to reliability in our energy system is infrastructure. Uh, and that means well-functioning uh, oil and natural gas pipelines, uh, well-functioning electricity transmission infrastructure, uh, and really a robust set of tools to get energy to people in a reliable uh, and consistent manner. And securing those, right? I mean, because those would also be targets of other terrorism. And I mean, making them secure would be powerful as well. That's right. There's actually been uh, some reporting in the last couple weeks about um, uh, about cyber attacks on U.S. energy infrastructure, including some nuclear power plants. Mm, yeah. um, I don't know the details of, of that story, but, um, but securing against those kinds of threats is also extremely important. Powerful. I mean, really, when you think about it, there's really – we're vulnerable, especially in this energy world. We're so vulnerable – um, in very targeted, specific places. As we wrap up, uh, Daniel, what – I mean, dominance, I guess it's – might be naivete, might be bravado. It's – whatever it is, it's probably not seeing the whole uh, system that's going on, the global system of energy. Um, in the end, what should we be doing? What should we be paying attention to as far as uh, do we need to worry about dominance? Do we need to push for it? Where do we need to be just as citizens in the in the discussion on energy? Yeah, I think one probably the first thing I would say uh, for you know people who don't study the energy system for a living, one of the most important things to know is that the energy system is enormous and it changes slowly. Um, the energy system is all around us all the time. Uh, if you look around you, you'll probably see a dozen things or more that are made with petroleum products. Uh, you and I are speaking on telephones right now enabled by electricity that's created uh, by different uh, means in our different places. So understanding that the energy system is huge and it changes slowly is the first thing uh, that everyone should know. And the second thing to know is that um, energy systems are complex, and when you hear rhetoric either from the right or from the left, uh, that rhetoric is often uh, lacking in nuance. Now, that's true for many of our political conversations, uh, but there are rarely easy answers to the challenging energy questions that we face. And throwing out terms like energy dominance, energy independence, uh, these uh, sort of sound bites, it can make for a useful marketing campaign, but doesn't really educate people uh, about the complexities of our energy system. So one suggestion that I have uh, for listeners, and this is a, a, a shameless self-promotion, uh, is uh, in December I'll be publishing a book called The Fracking Debate, mm. uh, which is all about the big questions of the shale revolution. The book basically tries to answer for you know the average person, uh, how do we understand these issues like energy independence? Uh, how much do we need to worry about concerns of water contamination from shale development? How much do we need to worry about, um, you know, the economic impacts of the shale revolution? And so, uh, so my hope is that that book will, you know, provide a, a resource for your listeners 
to um, to learn more about these questions. You bet. And we'll have to have you back to talk about that new book. Um, Daniel, thank you so much. Daniel Ramey, again, is a Senior Research Associate of Public Policy at the University of Michigan and uh, also a Senior Research Associate at Resources for the Future. He's guiding us through a discussion on energy policy. It is complicated. But it, you got to be curious, folks. You're driving in your car every day. You're using these resources, and then you hear, you know, about pipelines. You hear about domination of global energy. Is it real? Is it realistic? We're trying to give you the information you need to make intelligent decisions in your life. We'll continue the journey up next. We'll do a little coach's corner. Stick with us. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back. You know, uh, one thing I think we're learning from President Trump and really from all of our politicians, we really have to be careful with the words we use, right? President Trump came out talking about world domination of the energy and energy domination um, of the energy markets. Okay, but when you get in to somebody that kind of the wonk that knows the behind the scenes, the in-depth understanding about energy policy, at some point, domination and dominance, it doesn't work, let alone independence, because how can you be independent with your energy unless you absolutely pull out of everything global, right? And we only use energy here. Um, and only our energy. And I think a lot of us think simplistically like that could work. But your words matter. What you say matters because you're communicating to everybody in the world. If we're going to dominate, then you better be a friend of the U.S. because um, otherwise you'll be dominated. So is that the message we want to send as, as a culture, as a society? Now, bring it back to your own life. What words do you use? What threats do you make? What jokes do you make? How do you use your humor or your lack of humor? What are you communicating? You know, it's one thing to just beat up on a president. It's another thing to take it, take the same lessons into yourself. Do you yourself watch your words carefully? It really is, I think, essential for all of us to maybe tone down the rhetoric a bit and start listening a little bit more. Wouldn't that be nice? Fewer accusations, fewer intimidation. How many times have we heard a story where something didn't go right and people go off and blow up? We have such a propensity in our world today to think that our voice has to be heard and we're going to force it in someone else's head one way or another. We're still in this together, folks. We're in it together. Let's watch our language as we do it. We'll, uh, we'll continue the discussion, the journey, learning to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt Howard. This Matt Townsend here. This is hour number two of the show, by the way. Hour number two. If you missed the first hour, go to iTunes. Pick it up there. Go to TuneIn, Stitcher, BYURadio.org. Go get the app. Just download the BYU Radio app. 
It's all there. Welcome to the program. Man, oh man, have we got a good show for you. We're going to be talking about common traits of truly happy and successful people. You know, I would say we are definitely happy people. We are, the three of us. Terry, Terry's happy too. Jeffrey, he's always happy. We're going to talk about the common traits of truly happy people, but we're also going to throw a curveball, not just happy, but happy and successful. Oh, okay. That's where things, yeah. that's, Darn it. It's just where things change a little bit on us. It's going to be a great, it's going to be a great energizer, a great uh, show because you got to learn how to find happiness where you are. And if you can throw a little success on top of it all, mm-mm-mm, perfect combination. So we'll be talking about that fun. Plus, we've got a lot of news to cover. Holy cow. What do you do when you uh, lose your thumb? You know, you lose your thumb. You throw in the towel. That's it. Well, or you have them take your toe and put it on your thumb. What? Happened. We'll be talking about a guy that had that very predicament. Do you move your big toe to your thumb? I've heard of foot and mouth, but I've never heard of toe on hand. Mm Mm-hmm. It changes, it changes, um, changes a lot of things. The minute you move the toe to the hand, you've you will always have something to talk about at parties. You and this I mean? guy's young enough that he'll get plenty of comments. That's right, toe 20, hand. Twenty years old. We'll be talking about that. Plus, what do you do when you get stuck in an ATM machine? This one man was stuck actually in the wall behind the ATM. Um, as he, where he would go in, I guess, to, to move the money, to bring the money in and the funds and all these different things that go through the ATM. But there's a little room behind there. This man locked himself in there without a phone. So how do you alert everybody that, hey, I'm in the room, I'm stuck back here. Hmm. And how do you get out of it? We, uh, we're not even, we're not just going to tell you the story. Shik Shumway's on the scene. First on the scene, fifth on the facts. Shikshamway. He'll be reporting on that. It's amazing how he gets there so fast. Yeah. I kind of sometimes wish Shik would get there a little slower. Because if he were Why? there, well, then I think his interviews might be better. Yeah, but he, he, he's he got some there. audio that nobody else was able to get. Yeah. But he may- was able to get to the guy before the guy was helped. I know, but maybe it would have been better to get, get to the guy after they got him out. Mm, no. No. Anyway, we'll be we'll be uh, going to that interview with the guy stuck in the ATM. Plus, um, a California bank robbery suspect found inside a couch at a home. We're having a lot of people in couches lately, so it's a trend. Do you think a there's trend. a manufacturing recall necessary? Yeah, I or? think it's. I'm sure it has something to do with Donald Trump lessening the standards of safety and security for couches. Those tags on furniture that says yeah. do not remove, they removed them. By the way, the minute you remove those, you open this gap up and then people fall in the gap and then they're stuck in the couch. There you go. It's a tragedy. Anyway, we'll get to that. Everybody's blaming everything on Trump now. Everybody's blaming everything. It can't all be Trump's fault. Some of it still has to be Hillary Clinton's fault. If we're going to be honest. Don't don't give up blaming that. And then we could still throw Barack Obama under. And hey, yeah. whatever happened to George Bush, he was in there too. Let's still blame him. Yeah. Thought what about be. what about George Washington? Really, he started this whole thing. He took down that cherry tree. Man, 
Everybody blames the Donald sometimes. Mm-hmm. He just breaks right in, doesn't he? Ra-ba-da-ba-da. He just keeps going. Just keeps going like people are listening. Hmm. Anywho, uh, moving straight ahead, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Find out what's going on in his neck of the world. A hammer-wielding man who attacked four people, including a police officer, during a three-day string of assaults in New York City two years ago was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Good. He, uh, David Burrell, 32, pled guilty in May to attempted aggravated assault upon a police officer and multiple counts of assault in the second degree. He uh, suffers from paranoid schizophrenia, so he has some some issues. He, Go get some help. I don't know if he was getting help but wasn't addressed in the story, but he was sentenced to five years of post-release supervision also, so after he gets out. On May 11, 2015, he randomly attacked a man and two women with the hammer, hitting him oh, on the head. boy. And then two days later, spotted by two police officers who approached him, he attacked yeah. one of them, hitting them in the head, oh. and the other one was did, able to subdue him. People died? No, they were just injured with hammer I mean, is that injuries. not the worst? That's a pretty rough injury ever. That's like a right. nightmare. And so New York was. I mean, there's some guy running yeah. around the streets with a hammer. What are you going to do? And not well. He's not right. intending. He's just hurting. He's broken. So they're able to put him in a place where he's probably going to get the kind of help he needs. Good. So uh, Shane McMahon. Do you know who that is? Uh, is that Ed McMahon's no. grandson? Uh. Uh-uh. He was rescued from the waters off of a New York beach Wednesday morning after the helicopter he was riding in performed a diving elbow drop, some sort of a crash, oh. into the ocean. I thought uh, it was a maneuver, like yeah. a really cool I helicopter maneuver. I hate it when my elbow crashes into the table. Yeah, then you get that, that dead arm thing. It probably was some sort of a maneuver, but it ended up with him in the ocean, so oh either boy. way, he crashed. He's the son of WWE chairman and CEO Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. So Shane McMahon actually shows up in the ring sometimes yeah. when they have their inner family. He does squabbles. the elbow drop, so maybe that was what he was doing. Maybe it was like it was. the <laughs> flying elbow drop. Maybe that's what they wanted. The pilot guided the uh, helicopter and uh, controlled crash into the ocean. Neither man was injured. McMahon calls the crash very unnerving, but credited the pilot for how he handled the situation. Nearby lifeguards saw the crash and were able to go out and help <laughs> if them. People, so. If people swim away from that accident, that's a huge success. Right. That you know, pilot, doesn't matter what he did, he saved everybody because that could get ugly. All I really want for my birthday is a controlled crash. You know, like just crash on the couch and for an hour or so, and I've got it under control, and then I'm good to go. Just yesterday, Don said this show is a controlled crash, and you're a major part of it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we sound the meeting, yeah. Controlled. You remember Google Glass? Yes. It was the glasses that had yeah. a heads-up display. Yeah, because then you could have Google with you always in your face. People are calling it one of the worst product flops of all time. Google, I believe, never actually said they wanted to get this out to mass yeah, they production. Were they learning. were just testing and yeah. learning and seeing how intrusive they could be. Astro Teller, who runs Google X, Google's X division, that's their uh, high thought projects, the right. know, big moonshot sort of concepts, admits the company got more than a little off track with Google Glass. One of the most hyped products of 2013 fell flat, becoming a footnote in the history of wearable technology. But don't count it out yet. After two years of testing, Google has released a new version, the Glass Enterprise Edition, with faster processors, faster Wi-Fi, longer battery life, an improved camera, and to suit critics, a light that tells onlookers when the video is actually being recorded when the video is on. That was part of the problem oh, is yeah. you couldn't tell if someone was recording. Oh, so it was that's creepy. half the fun. Yeah. yeah. So, But major companies such as GE, Boeing, DHL, and Volkswagen have tried out Google Glass e, or Glass EE 
and has seen a huge gain in productivity and noticeable improvement in quality. Really? They're, they're finding it boosts product productivity in factories and warehouses because the employees have all the information they need right on their in their eyes and their face on with these pair Does of glasses. Does it then connect to your phone? It connects to the inner the Wi-Fi in the building. Holy cow! So it's a heads-up display. So you work in a warehouse, you need to go grab a product. It tells you right where it you is. Know, you walk uh, over and get it. I'd be totally run over by a forklift. Yeah, because I'd I, be watching Netflix on aisle I, number five. <laughs> can I give a compliment real quick? Oh wow! It's sure. actually not for you, oh. um, yeah, Terry. Not do it then. Terry always nails the difficult words. I'm, a, I'm always amazed at his pronunciation of yeah. rural. Yeah, rural. yeah, yeah. And right there, he just said Google Glass like three times. And try <laughs> saying Glass. that ten times in a row. It's not – That's a not, great – that yeah. was a really a- nice appar- moment. Apparently, the key improvement is you can now attach the module mm-hmm. to any kind of eyewear. That oh, was the so problem I could wear before. it with my glasses. So like you wear glasses, you'd have to put Google Glass originally over the top of your glasses, which is kind of a pain. Yeah, it's like double glass. Now – it's it's you can just attach it to the side of your glasses and it'll swing a little window in front of you so you could see what the information you need to read. It's like a cyborg, basically. How much do you think that costs? One ten, unit, ten billion dollars. No, it costs thirteen to fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> a piece. Well, that's not happening. And uh, one company is prepared to buy what they said like two hundred, three hundred. Google, units. Google's going to buy their these, own product. One of these big multinationals trying to take over the planet. I mean, it would make sense if you've got to like run around a warehouse and you. Yeah. Wow. And so it leaves your hands free to work. Yeah. You don't have to have a tablet or some sort of document. You can have but just – Would you not just watch Netflix all day? Well, they probably set them up so you can't have any kind of fun on them. Well, what good is that then? That's right. Just watch those reviews carefully. We've come out – I mean Google has come out with this amazing product. <laughs> That's so true. And finally, a jury has convicted a Western Michigan woman of first-degree murder in the shooting death of her husband in a crime apparently witnessed by the man's parrot. Oh, really? Yeah. The parrot witnessed the murder. It's what they said. So It was she, the butler. She, she shot him. <laughs> it was the butler. Right. She shot him, and ah. she was trying to come up with a different story. And the African gray parrot kept repeating, don't expletive shoot. Wow. In the voice of the husband. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like having an Alexa, but it's a parrot. Right. So apparently the parrot was not used in court. But the court and the jury was well aware that the parrot kept saying this. Wow. And so it took eight hours, but then the jury uh, decided that, uh, yeah. But hold on. She did. But that, but that would have been – hold on. But, but that, it said don't blanking shoot, but that means that that was the victim. Yeah, because he, he said it as it says in Martin Durham's voice. So apparently the parrot mm. can mimic. Holy cow. Then the parrot said – Right, maybe you should have given me a cracker. Right. There you go. <laughs> that parrot's lucky to be alive. Well, now you... apparently because she took ownership of the parrot after he died. So why wouldn't if she just disposed of the evidence? <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard because once you've – I mean, parrots are so cute. They're so endearing until they throw you under the bus in front of a jury trial. Right. It's such an interesting – I mean we talk about Alexa now getting you in trouble because the, those recordings can be used in court. But who would have thought that your parrot would eventually turn on you like that? Hmm. Or that it would be used as evidence. That yeah. the jury would go, well, OK. But I mean if the parrot kept repeating the same phrase over and over and it was in that guy's voice. Do you trust a parrot though? Uh, I don't know. I mean what if the parrot's just got a – 
you know, grudge. It's holding a grudge about something. <laughs> you didn't. You took it. You got its wings clipped. Right. <laughs> clipped me. That's some crazy. some guy recently was convicted because of his pacemaker. Yeah. Evidence from his pacemaker showed that his heart rate went up at certain rates, and they're like, oh, like that coincides with the timeline. Coincides with the murder time. He was convicted. The yeah. And then there's wow. like a, a seems a little thin cases with Fitbits. Yeah. Same thing. They can see the heart rate's different. Do you remember when we used to be able to murder people with yeah. all, all this data? Yeah, but how do they know that guy wasn't eating a plate of nachos or something at yeah. that time? Yeah, maybe he was just like trying to push down some chili fries. <laughs> what do you do? Seems a little thin to me. Think, uh, speaking of thin, how would you get a guy stuck behind an ATM? He's in the ATM. So it's, it's, it's an ATM with a little room behind the ATM. A Roomba? A, a room. Oh, okay. Behind the ATM. Gotcha. So he has to go in this tiny little room. This was in Corpus Christi, Texas. And he was stuck. And uh, he, he he can't get out. He forgot his phone and he forgot his keys. You know, by the way, the two things you always have to have. Oh, and your credit cards. Um, so he's stuck in this tiny little room. I don't have my phone. So how do you get out? Well, he figured out that he, what he would do is just write a note on a receipt. The, the paper that they use for the receipts at the ATM. And he wrote, please help. I'm stuck here. I don't have my phone. And well, um, and then, then he would put it at the top of the receipt. So every time a receipt would kick out, somebody would then see that note. Well, Clever. police actually joke about it. But eventually the man was freed. He was stuck behind that wall, I think, for a few hours, about three hours he says, this is a once-in-a-lifetime situation that you'll probably never see or hear again. A contractor had been changing the lock at the Bank of America location when he accidentally locked himself in the room. And, uh, you know, he was stuck there for a while. Now, here's the amazing thing. So I think it was a woman that eventually received the note. She then got the help for him. But uh, while the police were on their way to go to get the man out, our very own Shik Shumway heard the story and somehow got there before anybody else was able to get the guy out, and he actually held an interview with the man. Sir, can you tell us how you got into this mess? Huh. Oh, he's mad. See, that's, that could happen to anybody. I, I totally understand where he's coming from. Well, I think I've, I've heard similar audio uh, with somebody stuck in a wall before. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody stuck in a, you know, barrel or something. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is— But his is, explanation totally makes sense, though. Uh, oh, you understood him? Oh, yeah. I didn't. What did he say? I didn't understand a word he said. Well, then that's just something that he and I will. I'm just thinking maybe it'd be good for the listeners to know what he said. <sighs> just thinking. Well, I mean, you told the whole story. Uh, what did What did the guy say? I mean, but it was just a little more colorful. Let's just say. Oh yeah. Okay. So in a way, it's good that we couldn't understand him. Because maybe we would have had to been beeping it. Anyway. Hey, by the way, what? Why does Schick get to go to? Texas. I've never been. I, you know what? Honestly, I don't even know because Schick's not even on the payroll. Uh, honestly, it's weird. I don't even know where Schick came from. We don't pay him here. He just shows up and then sends does, in tapes. Does, does he know that? Mm-mm. Oh, should, we, yeah. t- should he, we tell him? Yeah. He's our freelancer. Somebody ought to tell him. I'm not telling him. 
All right. I mean, we get great footage like this. Are you kidding me? Can we send Palakiko to tell him? Yeah. Okay. Send the Kiko. Hey, next up, we are going to be talking about common traits of truly happy and successful people. You're not going to want to mix it. When we look around us, it's easy to pick out the people who are successful and happy in their lives, isn't it? Don't you just say, oh, yeah, that guy's obviously so happy. He's got the perfect job. Life is good. They're energetic many times. They seem excited to learn, to share their learnings with others. They might be highly motivated. Being around these people always raises the questions, why are they so happy? So our guest today, Andrea Corso, has not only asked these questions to herself, but has come up with some answers for others. She is a life coach and uh, is a, a leadership expert and coach with more than 20 years of experience helping clients. Today, she's here to help us. So Andrea, this idea of happiness, we all want it, right? We, we want to be happy and, I guess, successful simultaneously, but it doesn't seem to happen. I mean, it doesn't happen. I mean, it's like we're not noticing when we're happy. Hmm. Interesting way to think about it, but in many cases, that's true. We don't notice it. Is it when you look at it as you coach people? What, what do you think is the key to to actually being truly happy and recognizing our happiness? Well, I think there are a couple of things. You know, I think it first depends. You know, it's, it's different for everybody. So um, we can look around and we can see other people living lives that we think we may want or will make us happy, but then when we get into it, we, you know, say it's a a specific type of career or a specific location or home or relationship, can be anything, we might then realize, oh, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought. Mm. This isn't making me happy. And it's a matter of really being introspective and taking time to know yourself and what you need and what you want and what happiness means to you and then linking that to how you're living your life. Is, is it correlated? Is being happy and successful, are they, are they synonymous? Do they mean the same thing? Um, and, and do they correlate? Well, you know, there's been a ton of research done in the world of positive psychology, which demonstrates that one of the many things that contribute to happiness and well-being in, in humans is this idea of setting goals and achieving them. So in a sense, you know, success, oh, I have this goal, this life goal, or this professional goal, whatever it may be, and I'm going to strive towards it. And when I achieve it, then I, I deem myself a success. Those, there's been a lot of research done that, that demonstrates, yeah, this is a contributor, contributor for, to, towards one's happiness. So they are correlated. I think um, living a life that where you are, defining what makes you happy, meaning like setting goals to achieve certain things. And then when you achieve them, you're going to feel that sense of accomplishment and feel happy about it. And if we don't achieve it, or in some cases fall short, you know, certainly that also impacts our well-being. So I do believe they are correlated. Now, when you look at your clients um, and, and the people that, that you see that are truly happy and are successful, what are some of the, the traits, the common traits that you see in them? So there are a couple of things that I see um, that are really themes. And, you know, one of the biggest themes is 
what drives these people. So they're typically not driven by what I call, you know, the external or extrinsic factors, things like money, job title, material things. They're driven internally or intrinsically by things like what makes them happy, what fills them with a sense of purpose, what brings them joy. So so the the drivers are the internal things like joy, inspiration, what inspires me, what moves me, what gives me a sense of purpose, and that's what I'm going to spend my time on. Many of my clients who I would consider, or even people I know, um, you know, who are would deem themselves truly happy and successful, the things they do for um, a living, for livelihood, for their career, you know, 90% of them will say, even if I didn't get paid, I would do this. Mm. And that is the key. So they're not being driven by the amount of money they're making or the job title they have. It's, it's what it does, how it fills them with a sense of, of purpose. So that's a big, a big theme. Yeah. Another big theme is they don't let fear stop them. It doesn't mean that they don't have fear or they don't feel afraid of kind of stretching themselves or stepping out of their comfort zone, but they just are willing to move through the fear and not let it stop them. What do you, and maybe that, that ability to move through the fear comes more by knowing intrinsically what they want to be. Yes, I, that is absolutely right. They know this, I know this is going to bring me joy and this is going to serve a purpose in the world, not just for me personally, for my own personal satisfaction, but, you know, I can see how it's going to help people, help others live better lives, whatever it may be. Um, and they go for it. They, they, they're not afraid to take the risk, so to speak. Mm. When you, when you, I guess, is this trained? Is this innate? Do they do this naturally or is this something they have to learn? That's a great question. I, I, you know, for some people, it's probably just the way they are, but for many, it is not. Uh, I think for many people, they have to, and I don't even like to say overcome fear because, you know, we're humans. So we're going to have these fears. And when I, when I talk about fear, I'm, I'm not talking about real fear, you know, the, the things that, that we are born with, fear of when we're in danger. So when you smell smoke in your house or you start to lose control of your car and fear, you feel that sense of fear in your body, that's real fear that keeps us alive. What I'm talking about are the fears from the stories that we create in our minds, so false fears. So fear of rejection, fear of disapproval, fear of failure, fear of uncertainty, of the unknown. It's the stories that we create in our head. And we're human, so these things are going to come up for us just simply because we're living here on Earth. And the idea is to manage it. So I think for many people, they have to learn how to manage those fears. So when the stories come up, like, well, what if I fail? Well, what if, what will everybody think if I do this? It's, it's moving through that, managing it so it doesn't stop you versus in many cases, it, I mean, for many of my clients, the reason they seek me out is because they are stuck. So they've, they've allowed a fear or a limiting belief to stop them. Mm. So we learn how to manage it and then we can move through it so that you can get to that place of success and true happiness and living a life that you love. Yeah, because how unhappy can one be if you know you're not 
accomplishing or being what you want to be. Talk about uh, the other the other traits of these happy people. Constructive criticism, they tend to crave it. What else do they have? Uh, they want to share what they know. So they're they're educators. They they've kind of reached this place in their life where they are living a life and being the person they most want to be, and they want to share that wisdom with other people. Um, they're role models. You know, they, they lead by example. They make every effort to communicate and um, just share with their tribes how they, too, can, you know, live life to the fullest. And I'd say another thing, and this is, you know, a big one, for all of us who maybe are striving to reach that place of happiness and success, these people have their own struggles, right? So they are, their life is not perfect. Um, They experience things that we all experience, rejection, loss, tragedy, but they keep it in context, right? So they're not sitting there knowing that this event or this moment in time is going to last forever. They, they treat it as a moment in time. So, yes, they struggle, but they know how to ride the ups and the downs. Mm. They also, you say, get out of themselves. They, they teach others. They share. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, they want to. I mean, um, I think, you know, when I – and I've been, you know, coaching for many years, but when I started to really ask these questions of people, I want to say over, like, the past year – it was just this general sense of I want to talk, I want people to know what what I've done, how I've lived, changed my life so that I can live in such a way, and I want to help them do it too. And it's not like they all want to go out there and you know be life coaches or whatever. They just, in their own you know way, whether it's in a church environment or in a coaching a baseball team for their kids, whatever it may be, they just want to share what they know in that environment and help people, you know, be the best they can be, really, is what it's about. And, and that's really the goal. What's yeah. the one thing, Andrea, that you would suggest to all of us, if we want to get truly happy, if we want uh, to kind of, you know, get on the course for more success, what's the one thing we could do today? Acknowledge where you are, and if you need to make a change, just take a step towards the direction you want to go. I always tell people to take one step in the direction you want to go. That's it. Because if you think about, I have to take a million steps to get from point A to, you know, point B, it's scary. It's like, wait a minute, that's too much. Just take one, and then the second step's going to show up. So one step, one moment at a time, one, you know, that's, that's how you make any change in your life. So acknowledge where you are if you want to make a change and you're not really happy not living the life you most want to live, and then just take a step. That's all you need to do. Love it. Love it. Well done, Andrea. Thank you so much. We'll have to have you back when we, when we uh, don't have the echo on our side. Uh, great insight from Andrea Corso. Go to her website, andreacorso.com. Uh, live a life you love. Uh, powerful insights there as well. Next up, we're going to continue the journey and continue a little more coaching here from the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. What's the matter with you, boy? You too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Label. 
Play ball, friends. Hey, welcome back. Four uh, life lessons here from Coach Matt on how to have more happiness in your life. Um, and uh, many were mentioned there by Andrea Corso. you got to be self-aware. One of the keys to happy people is they know where they fit in life, in the world. They, they have enough self-awareness, and there's power in being a self-aware person. There's power in knowing what your strengths are, even knowing what your weaknesses are, not dwelling on your weaknesses, right, but, but knowing what they are so that you know how to gear your life forward. People that are self-aware tend to be more other-aware as well. Uh, If I can understand who I am, I understand my strengths, my weaknesses, my idiosyncrasies, then I too can understand others. And so self-awareness simply just means you get you. How powerful would that be? I mean, you would think that being too self-aware might keep you from reaching out and doing things that are a little harder for you. But um, it also might make it so that you're, you're a little more forgiving. You understand uh, how to grow and how to be connected to you as a, as a person, as a being. Many of us, I, I believe, just are so trying to avoid any real connection to our own thinking, our own life, our own expectations, that we just maybe detach, we disconnect. And you're not going to get too far in life being profoundly disconnected from you. Make sense? In the end, you got to know you, and you should appreciate you. Ask yourself some questions. Like, what do you know about your own, you know, your own mood, your own uh, strengths, your weaknesses? What do you know about the food you should eat? How many of us are so not self-aware that we eat regular meals that actually make us sick or upset our bodies, and yet we just keep eating them, and we don't know why? But uh, it's just really good. If you're a self-aware person, you'd actually maybe be a little more attuned to what makes you feel good, what makes you happy, what motivates you. How do you um, impact others? As Andrea was talking earlier, self-aware people also have a, a better maybe insight into what they want to accomplish, how they want to leave the world, and how they want to to help give back to the world. One of the cool things I guess we could all be doing with our children would be teaching them about their feelings and and teaching them to be more self-aware. So you want to be happier? Learn to be more self-aware. Another is to learn to care. You know, care is defined as having feelings like concern, responsibility, love for someone, thought of others. Really, care means that uh, you feel a sense of responsibility or emotion for another person And uh, who doesn't want to learn to care more? Happy people actually have emotions. They have passions. And uh, we've talked about on the show before, if you can dial in to your mission, your purpose, your passion in life, and you care about something, that is is the, I believe, honestly, the door to the key to the front door of happiness is having a passion for something. If you would, do you have a hobby or um, a, a love of something that you would do just because it's it's just fun to do? Do you now? What if you could turn that into a career or into something that you could spend a lot of time doing? I mean, I know I know people that make they love doing woodwork and wood carving, and they they. They love it. It's just what they do. They come home from work and they get right into the shop and start working 
wood and carving it, and um, it was powerful. It was a fun thing, but he realized he was just escaping from the world until he realized that he could actually carve things that he could give to people. So then he started carving and doing his woodwork for others, and the minute he shared it with others, it became something that that actually induced or created in him even more passion. We can care about a lot of things, by the way. We can care about thoughts. We can care about things. We can care about people. We can care about, uh, you know, a lot of powerful things. And once you know what you, can, what you care about most, then you can start to offer that. One of the things we might want to share with our kids is help them understand how to share, how to care and give to others. Let them learn to, to do things where passion and emotions are there. Actually, if they would rather play one sport over another, what if you just went with their emotion? Let them go where their emotions take them. Oh, well, yeah, but then they'll just they'll just lollygag around. Maybe. Or maybe they'll actually find a passion for something. How about another uh, key to happy people is learning to dare. So we've got to be aware, we've got to learn to care, and we've got to learn to dare. Sometimes we are so afraid, aren't we? We don't want the risk. We don't want the feedback. We don't want uh, we don't want the growth. We don't want the risk. We need to be teaching our kids to risk a little bit more, to dare a little bit more. Many, many clients that I see uh, tend to be millennials, 20-somethings, who just are failing to thrive. They have no passion. They have nothing they seem to care about. They don't, some of them don't have self-awareness, and some of them don't seem to dare to try anything new. They just stay in their little incubator. And as parents, we don't need to make their life miserable, but we do need to push daring. Let kids leave home. Don't be as uh, afraid for your kids. The minute you start reflecting how dangerous this world is, guess what they start to pick up? Boy, I better not get out there. Help your kids learn to dare. Make your kids go ask for their own help. Make them confront the teacher that's, that they have to go retake a test with. Don't you, you know, set it up for them. How powerful is that when they have to learn to dare and to risk and to extend? What if we could create more opportunities for each of us to fail? I mean, it's funny. This uh, whole radio gig is kind of a midlife crisis for me. <laughs> it's It's something I started... I mean, I I had training in it younger, but I've been doing it the last 10 years of my life. So really since 37 on, it's a whole new growth cycle for me. And it's easier, honestly, to just go back to what I used to do. It'd be so much easier. But there's something about it when all of a sudden you dare to grow, you dare to learn, opens up new channels, opens up new life. So do you, are you happy? Because if not, probably you need to be more self-aware. You need to find someone to care for and you need to dare. And last but not least, you probably need to share. Share means we divide, we distribute. Share means that we, we partake of, we experience, we occupy, we enjoy things with others, we have in common things with others. We share. Are you very good at sharing your thoughts? Oh, yes, I love to just share my thoughts. Are you very good at listening and letting others share theirs? Every human being wants to learn and grow And uh, what if we could help by just sharing what we learned today? One of the great things I love about the show is I learn something every day that I go and share. I cannot tell you how many times I'm with people and I'm saying, well, man, a funny thing on the show, I was talking to so-and-so about this. 
just little pieces every single day of information, of facts that I can share with people. And so can you. Sharing. Do you create, create opportunities in your world, in your life to share more? Well, I don't, I don't want to be annoying. Well, you're not annoying. If you're a parent, your job is to share. Your job is to teach. What if when our kids come home from school, we ask them to share? We get it stuck in their minds and their heads that every day you're going to teach us something. What did you learn at school today? Just give us what you learned. They'll always say, I'm nothing. I don't know. I don't know, Dad. And I always just smile and say, well, sure you do. You were at school, and so we're not going to stop until you start to share. It's an interesting life, isn't it? And if happiness comes from those intersections, the intersections where we share, the intersections where we care about things, the intersections where we dare to risk and stick our heads out a bit, and the intersection where we are self-aware, there's some powerful life uh, growth that happens. And the biggest thing about growth is it tends to foster happiness. One of the crazy truths they're learning in positive psychology is this idea that there is a little bit of stress that's necessary. You need to have some stress in your life in order to create a sense of well-being. Humans inherently are going to uh, push for more and more um, happiness, more and more opportunity, more and more taking advantage of life. And that little bit of stress uh, of the risk, of the dare, of the share, of the care ends up taking us to a different level in our lives. If we always are trying to have um, and, and avoid such stressor that we never share, we never learn, we never grow, we never develop, then we actually also will never feel happiness. Happiness must coexist with its opposite which might be stress, which might be a little unsettled feeling, uh, fear. So don't run away from it. It's just life. It's life. Right? Nobody died from learning and growing and developing. And know, too, there's a lot of people behind you, a lot of people behind you. We um, are going to uh, continue the journey. Uh, next up, we'll be talking more about some of our empty news. For example... How, uh, how somebody found, uh, was found inside of a couch just so it happened to be a bank robber. So before you sit down on your couch, make sure you check for thieves. That's up next. Welcome back, friends. You know, uh, thumbs up for what doctors did with an Aussie man's big toe. You won't believe this one. It's just another April day in Western Australia farm for Zach Mitchell until suddenly it wasn't. In a freak accident, the cattle worker was herding the animals in uh, his charge when one bull cleaned me up and kicked my hand against the rail. Ouch. He says resulting, uh, it resulted in his thumb on his right hand being severed. My thumb was still hanging on the rail. Ugh, sorry to be so graphic. When I got up off the ground, the 20-year-old says his co-workers tried their best to preserve the thumb for reattachment, placing it in an ice cooler. But then two surgeries later, the doctors could not put Mitchell's thumb back on his hand again, just like Humpty Dumpty. And so what happens when you can't get the thumb back on? Well, guess what? One of the doctors suggested maybe we transfer one of his big toes to where his thumb used to be. Just put a little thumb on the – or put the big toe on the thumb. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, sure. It's a little, it's 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 a little different looking. It's our body's backup. It's our body's backup thumb. And uh, Mitchell's lead surgeon, Sean Nicklin, understood that the man's reluctance at first, it's a bit crazy of an idea. He said, patients usually don't want to, to injure another part of their body to, to be able to make their hand more useful. But the reality, I guess, is your big toe is uh, surprisingly compatible for the thumb. And by the way, if you've seen some people's big toes, yeah. That makes sense. My wife would be horrified if my big toe ended up as my thumb. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be rude, but I could throw a curveball with my feet. She doesn't even like to look at my feet. Doesn't she? No. I'm sorry. Well, uh, during the break, let's check them out. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the nerves sync up nicely. So they did it after an eight-hour surgery. It went well. Mitchell is expected now, after a year or so of rehab, to be able to be back in the fields. Good for him. Just given, uh, given a high four and a thumb. And a high four and one big toe. I don't know what you call it. Is, is it still a high five? Well, now instead of toe jam, he'll get finger jam. Yeah. <laughs> hey, a big thumbs up to him. Congratulations. Hey, also wanted to tell you about the California bank robbery suspect that was found inside a couch at a home. In Ventura, California, police say a bank robbery suspect was arrested after officers found him hiding inside of a couch. And uh, Francisco Hernandez was caught on surveillance video June 30th entering a bank, pulling a semi-automatic handgun from a large envelope and demanding money. The 39-year-old SWAT uh, – or 39-year-old was identified as a suspect. And then SWAT officers entered the house, and with the help of a police dog, they located Hernandez, who was found inside the couch that had been modified. It's tough to hear the story and not think of that new R&B song, Trapped in the Sofa. Oh, yeah. I hear that's a really good one. Yeah. Seven o'clock in the evening, playing hide and seek with the wifey. I'm hiding out in the sofa when my wife comes in the room and seeks me. She says, are you underneath the table or behind the TV? And I don't say a word since this has got to be the best hiding spot in history. She says, can we stop playing now? Cause I am super starving. And Taco Table's got three tacos for a dollar, and that's a bargain. But first you gotta tell me where you're hiding out right now. Then she says, forget you, I'm going to get some chow. Then I heard the front door slam, and I think to myself, oh Pam, I ain't falling for that old trick. She must think she's really slick. I was gonna say something, but my cell phone started to ring. Now she's trying to call me, but my phone's out of reach. Then I discover that I'm stuck and I can't budge an inch. This stinking couch has got me in its powerful clinch. Why did I hide in the sofa? Who on earth hides in a sofa? I never liked the sofa. Now I will die in the sofa. If only Pam had looked closer, she'd see I was in the sofa. I sure hope I don't pass out, pass out, pass out, pass out, pass out, pass out. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the program. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, hanging out with my buddies, Terry and Jeff. The gang's all here. 
Jeff's on keyboard. Terry doing vocals. I'm your buddy. Hey, buddy. Yeah. My pal. You're my pal. Man, we got a great uh, show coming up today. We're going to be talking about timeless habits that will change your life. Habits that we need to... Different than hobbits, by the way. Like brushing your teeth? Brushing your teeth is a timeless habit. Nice. That will change your life. Uh, Maybe having a good breakfast. That might help. There's other habits. We all make up habits. Some, though, won't change your life for the good. Some for the bad. Um, We'll be getting into that. Plus, what happens when your husband snores? How do you get your husband to quit snoring? Don't you just yell turn over or something? Throw an elbow? I have a great story about that. So my wife will typically say roll over. And I'm usually so out of it that I don't – I can't process any sort of thought other than to roll over. (laughs) But she said it the other morning and my response to her was play dead. (laughs) Play dead? (laughs) Yeah. She said roll over. Roll over. (laughs) I said play dead. Were you having a dream about training a dog? No, but, I just yes. thought it was a. I was lucid enough that I could uh, come up with that retort. Yeah, I would probably say you roll over. Like, no, I like to play dead better. That's really cute. I wasn't telling her to play dead. I was just saying, roll over, play dead. No, yeah. you were. We know you were dreaming about dog training. Your passion. Anything's possible if you believe. If you believe. You can get rid of the snoring. We'll tell you a story about a woman that uh, over four years recorded her husband's snoring mm. and then decided to release it in a video – what do we call this? A video – Vine? Mashup. Mashup of uh, the song Despacito who's, from who's Justin Bieber. Song? Okay. I've never heard the Despacito song. Despacito means slow. Mainly because it's... Despacio is slow. Despacito would be a little slow. It's Bieber and I'm not 12, so... Hold hold it. Huh? You don't have to be 12 to love the Biebs. Look into who, who likes the Biebs. You don't have to be 12 to be a believer. You're right. 13. Maybe that's the new 12. But he's getting older, too. Oh, oh I'm yeah. a believer. And so were all the 12-year-olds that liked him when he was 12. Boy, it's almost like you're dissing on him. Really? I, I am. I believe... <laughs> It sounds like you've got like a weird speech impediment. You can't. You, it's believe. Okay. Not believe. Now, hmm? before Jeff shared his snoring story, he yeah. said that it would be a great story. And it was. That was a so great, it was question, a great was it? joke. Yes. I felt moved. Totally. Okay. I just – I want to create <laughs> – I want to keep the integrity of the show high. Yeah, that was a great And if show. we start you know, prefacing stories with these words that you know are saying we're going to – Give you yeah. something. I want to deliver on that. No, that was well, great. That's Everything producer. else following that is just going to dwindle in quality. See, that's okay. Terry's job on the show is to manage the quality. It's quality control. It's quality control. Yeah. See, Jeff and I, we don't have that worry. Just run right into the wall. I'll let you yeah. do that, and then I'll let you know if you did a good job or not. It's not our responsibility. We throw it all out there. Something's going to stick. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Hey, also, we'll be getting into um, how an 11-year-old girl was pulled over for speeding. Mm. But she did have her mom's permission, so it's all good. It's all good. Almost got pulled hmm. over this morning. Did you? I did. Oh, traffic was bad today. For some I was reason. flying down the freeway. Why were you I was flying? only going 73. Yeah, you don't, right? you don't go very fast. Oh, I'm well, usually I, doing 80 Initially, on when I started working down here, I thought, eh, let's try 78. When I started working at BYU. Right yeah, now. how'd that go? Yeah, I got caught. So I, have, I backed it down. 73. And now I do about 73, which keeps all kinds of people passing me. But how did you almost get caught? The, 
I look to my rearview mirror, and you have that moment uh, where you see the shadow outline. It's the middle. It's five thirty in the morning. Yeah. So you see that shadow outline of a vehicle behind you, and then you're like, "Is that a luggage rack?" Yeah, they got a luggage. Or rack is on that it. a light bar from a police officer? Ah! And then I'm like, "No, no, no! Get the truck. He just passed." And then. I move over and the cop just drove right on by. The no worst problem. is when you fly by and then they come right out, light up their lights, and you you immediately have that gut drop and you're like, oh, man, my wife's right. going to kill me. Mm. That's what I always think. <laughs> and then uh, then they fly by you. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, yes, I hope there's a big emergency. Go get that worst yeah. doer. <laughs> worst feeling in the world immediately followed by the greatest feeling in the totally. world. Totally. There's and that then, word again, greatest. See again, and there's then there, there's that shameful moment when you're pulled over and the cop like finds a, a need to like shine every light in his vehicle on your car, right? And then you sit there for five or seven minutes, and the flashlight in, in your face, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. The cops, whenever I get pulled over, they always, I don't know why, they always have questions about this big stack of cash that I have yeah. in the seat next to I me. I know. Gosh, payday. Just payday. You Mind just your... drive around with ten grand in the passenger seat. Yes, I do, sir. Mind hey. your own business. <laughs> your car smells funny. Is there something in the trunk? No, I hit a skunk. That's all I always say. <laughs> no, I just hit something earlier. It's probably stuck underneath. So we'll talk about the eleven-year-old girl pulled over for speeding, and wow. uh, one way to get out of it is just say, "Hey, mom, gave me permission." Except she didn't quite get out of it. Um, we'll get to all that fun, of course. Plus, BYU Sports Nation will be uh, will be checking in with them to see what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. Also, a little hero story as well. So much to talk about, so little time. So let's head over to Terry now. Terry, what should we be focusing on when it comes to the news? Senator John McCain diagnosed with brain cancer. We talked about that earlier on in the show. Doctors performed surgery on the Arizona Repu- Republican to remove a blood clot last week revealed Wednesday that the senator also has a primary brain tumor and was uh, also was associated with that blood clot. So Sad. He's got that uh, challenge ahead of him. But everyone's on it. Lindsay, Senator Lindsey Graham, all of them are out there like, yeah, cancer has never met a harder foe. McCain's office says he's in good spirits as he continues to recover with his family in Arizona. Today at 1 p.m. Eastern, you can, if you choose, watch O.J. Simpson at his parole hearing. <laughs> uh, For honestly. some reason, that's something people want to do. Really? I'm but it's all over. It's all over. It's going to be, yeah. it's back. Everyone's got their countdown timers in the corner. And you but can, can you imagine you walk into a Carl's Jr. in Nevada and yeah. there's O.J.? I mean, that's... That's weird. That would be the nail in the coffin for my Carl's Jr. experience. Because, you know, there's the whole trashy commercials yeah. argument. And then if OJ's there, we're just going to choose a different establishment. <laughs> it's like we're done. I taught my son about the birds and the bees at a Carl's Jr. Wow. One of my kids. Father-son yeah. moment. Yeah, it was one of those moments. Over a burger. And yeah. he never ate a Western bacon cheeseburger ever again. <laughs> he lost his appetite. In other news, police in Baltimore have opened an investigation after a video released by a public defender appeared to show a police officer planting drugs at a crime scene. The minute-long video, recorded by an officer's body cam, so it's his own camera, released by the Maryland Office of the Public Defender Wednesday, showed an officer placing a plastic bag in a yard while two other officers watched. The officer then is shown returning to the yard to pick up the bag, which contained capsules of heroin. Really? So... 
did he plant the, you know, it, look, it looks like he plants so, the evidence. Some then, officers don't turn their cameras on in time, and right. then some don't turn them off when they're committing crimes. So the uh, the department showed other videos filmed the same day that said it raised the possibility that the officer had in fact discovered the drugs at the scene, but had chosen to recreate the find for the camera. Yeah. So they'd have that evidence. Okay. So the tip would be if you're going to try to you know plant evidence, commit a, a crime that way, and you're a cop with a body camera, maybe turn it off. <laughs> How bad is that that you actually produced your own evidence? <laughs> Yeah, Larry, it's right here. Here you are planting it. Oh, here you are. Uh-huh, there you oh, are. Wow. There, there you are filing off the serial number on the gun that you planted. Yeah, it's hmm. just fun stuff. It's just fun trying stuff. to recreate it. Hollywood is shying away from portraying Russian President Vladimir Putin in upcoming movies, apparently for fear of retribution. The Hollywood Reporter revealed Wednesday that Putin portrayals were cut from Fox's Red Sparrow movie and Europa Corps' uh, Kursk movie. That are uh, coming out. They're both based on books, and Putin appears in both of those books as a key figure. Fox cited creative choices for cutting Putin, who played a key role in the book uh, of Red Sparrow, which is set in the present day and centers around a Russian spy played by Jennifer Lawrence. The uh, Hollywood Reporter noted that by avoiding Putin, Fox is also steering clear of any Russian hackers who might protest by attacking them. Yeah. <laughs> and That's uh, interesting. They're afraid. Like, they're not afraid of South Korea. Right. Well, I guess they were. Or Sony North, got, North Korea. Yeah, or, sorry, Sony, North Korea. Sony got in trouble. They got in trouble with that. Yeah, they got hacked. Releasing a movie about North Korea. Right. And, but uh, but now they're really afraid of Putin. So a security firm that works with studios says for a studio to release a movie about Putin that makes him look like a fool would be suicide. Yeah. Because <laughs> they'll come after you and they'll take yeah, you Yeah, you'll get that radiation yeah. pill or whatever he gives you. Geesh. Okay. A report last year warned that match fixing is a problem in tennis, but at Wimbledon? The sports independent watchdog group said Wednesday that three matches during this year's event seemed a little fishy and are being investigated. Fishy. The Tennis Integrity Unit didn't name names, but it said two of the matches took place during qualifying rounds and a third in the main round. In a release, it stressed that this doesn't mean the matches were fixed, only that it had received alerts about strange behavior that warranted a closer look. In addition to the Wimbledon matches, one at the French Open is also <gasps> under investigation. No. Yeah, my name is Jimmy from the uh, Tennis Integrity Unit. <laughs> tennis Integrity Unit. My band name is actually Fishy Matches. Really? Yeah. I thought I saw okay. something. <laughs> so, yeah. There's a Tennis Integrity Unit. That seems to be the highlight of the story. Boy, I, they can't be fixing these matches. That was This is my favorite sport. Is it? Yeah. Really? What do you mean, really? Hmm. You said that like judgmentally almost. Nerd alert! Nerd? Have you? I watched the what highlights. The? Huh. Yeah. You, you just got a nerd alert. It's the greatest sport on the face of the earth. Yeah. What do you mean, yeah? I watched some with Andre Agassi because, you know, he had the long hair huh. and seemed like a rebel. Huh. And he had those cameras. Huh. Huh. Oh. Yeah. That guy needs to be reported to the integrity. Boy, that's I shouldn't be doing that. Unit. I don't think my gallbladder is fully healed to be able to do the uh, forehand do, grunt. Maybe do some more stretching. Yeah, so you work into that stretch out. And finally, Tabasco. Yes, has uh, debuted a new sauce. Now you like Tabasco, so this is yeah, good times. news for you. Yeah, I like I like Tabasco when you're cooking and you want something to be spicy because Tabasco by itself is just vinegar. Nothing wrong with that. It's kind of a vinegar, you know, the taste isn't necessarily the best in my opinion. But uh, they have a new sauce. Mm -hmm. It's called scorpion sauce. Ooh, that sounds menacing. It blends scorpion pepper with guava, pineapple, and other 
original uh, and their original red sauce. So the original Tabasco okay. sauce with guava and scorpion peppers. No, no, scorpion. It's a type of pepper. Allegedly. Okay, I thought. And I think right. it's scorpions who have eaten peppers, mm, and then you eat the them. Worst, yeah. Now the original red sauce isn't generally considered to be a mouth burning, tear jerking hot sauce, which I. You know, when I was a child, and yeah. you said a, you uh, said one of the magic words that mom didn't want yeah. you to say. Wash, yeah. We got Tabasco on you our got tongue. To, did you? Whoa! We got Well, soap came we got later. Soap too. And this is before you had the pumpable soap that you could just easily insert in the corner of their mouth. Oh, and pump my, it in. my mom gave us the, the liquid soap too. That was gross because <laughs> it instantly it's just yeah. everywhere. We were we were always like pulling soap off our teeth. From so the bar. What yeah. they're saying though is this hot sauce is twenty times hotter. Than the original Tabasco. Why sauce. do people do that? To, do you just, want your body? I see. When I'm eating, I don't want my body responding to the meal. Like I don't want sweat, and I don't. I don't want my face <laughs> to get red. That doesn't seem like a good meal. But on you're a, you're losing weight. I don't want my nose to be running while I'm eating. On YouTube, there's an interview show where the host and someone famous has a movie coming out oh, or yeah. something like that. They sit across from them. Each other, and they eat chicken wings that are bathed in these incredibly oh. insane hot sauces, like Dave's Death Sauce or yeah. Dave's Insanity Sauce or whatever. They're the kind of hot sauces that on the side of the bottle it says you can also use this to varnish wood <laughs> <laughs> or take stains off things. You know, where's my turpentine? And they tell you how many the is it the yeah the, the coval whatever units the, the heat the, yeah. the heat units yeah. They they tell you what they are, and then they eat them, and then the host asks a question, and then the guest tries to, you know, collect the mental fa- faculties <laughs> as everything is burning. See, that would be fun to watch. Yeah, it was pretty fun to watch. But watch. I don't want to participate. No, no. Yuck. There was a point where I was trying to see how hot I could get things. How did it work? It didn't go well. It didn't go far. One time I cooked with a bunch of peppers, basically made pepper spray. Yeah, it was, it was a good like stir fry, but it was a ba- the whole house was like someone had just dropped mace everywhere. And I mean, you walk in, your eyes are burning. Mommy, Ooh. where's the mace? I need the mace for my eggs this morning. If you're pepper spraying anything to eat it, you got a problem. It sounds so bad that maybe the mace is what you do to pacify the feeling that you're having. Maybe mm, that's it, some bad cooking though when you've got to mace it. The the, taba- <laughs> the Tabasco scorpion sauce, as it says here, a tangy sauce with untamed heat and a touch of Caribbean sweetness. Really? Because it's got pineapple, which isn't in the Caribbean. Caribbean Maybe sweetness. Oh, my heavens. Okay. I guess we're doing that? Yeah. I'm not. Hey, do you remember uh, we, we had the passing of Bertha, the biggest, the, the oldest hippopotamus around? Yes. Well, Cincinnati Zoo has an adorable baby hippo named Fiona. Mm-hmm. Right. And Fiona now has her own um, she has her own flavor of ice cream. Now, we made out of hippos. No, but do you do you want to have an ice cream? It's called Chunky Chunky Hippo. Well, that's just rude. But yeah, what's I with like, that joke? I would be flattered. Everybody loves ice cream. Well, no, they were, they call you Chunky Chunky Hippo just walking around. So really, this is should, there any ice cream associated? No, with but this them? should be your. I mean, you should have. We've been calling you that for years. It's uh, it features a toffee base, roasted peanuts, and caramel truffles. Hmm. Now the problem is, yeah. have you ever watched Planet Earth? That's, yeah, I've lived on Planet Earth. I've watched that occasionally. Occasionally, have you ever watched? The, the I'm pretty BBC sure it's show. Planet Earth, where they show the ecosystem and how mm-hmm. hippopotamuses 
just climb into the river and then fish go around and um, eat and clean the hippopotamus. They open their mouth and fish swim through their mouth and clean them. Right. Well, that's nice. Right. But then as part of planet Earth, this is just how educated I am as a doctor. You watch the They say, so so what does the hippopotamus give back to the fish? But then the hippopotamus will release itself, its its stuff, Mm -hmm. and then that feeds all the fish around. So as I'm telling you this, this is the life of a hippopotamus. And now my kid wants chunky, chunky hippo when he goes and gets ice cream. Okay. I'm not having it. I'd rather have... Uh, whatever your nasty, horrible hot sauce. The scorpion sauce. Yeah. So this ice cream contains everything that comes out then? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm just no. saying oh, okay. there's just some things you shouldn't name. Hippo? Ice cream after. Okay. And was... I don't think we should be fat shaming animals. You could have called it like Fiona's fudge ripple. Fiona's, yeah, Fiona's fragrant fudge ripple. There you go. Well, fish you ripple? Fiona's fish ripple? Fish feed. Fiona's favorite fish feed. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too sensitive. Do you think Fiona is offended by the fat shaming of I'm, the ice cream? I don't, I'm pretty sure she doesn't even know about okay. it. Well, then she's probably fine with it. Is she? And they could probably give her the ice cream and she would enjoy it. Until later she finds out that people have been making fun of her weight. I just feel bad. What has she done to you? I think if she hasn't complained, I don't think you should complain. Yeah. That's the problem with with watching shows like that, Planet Earth. Then you start to feel a connection to these animals. Yeah. And it makes it so I can't look at them in any other way. You don't want empathy for the animals. No. No. You certainly don't. Now every time I see a hippo, I'm going to think, I would love some ice cream right about now. There you go. <laughs> I'd love to just have some of that Fiona ice cream. All right. Well, doing what we can to help you. Hey, up next, we're going to be talking about Timeless Habits that will change your life and get you back on target. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. You know, we live in a constantly changing world, and uh, the only constant we do have uh, that we maybe have any control over might be how we manage our time, how what habits we create around our time. You know, hardship's going to be inevitable. Trials are going to be there. Maybe divorce, unemployment, loss of a loved one. But whatever it may be, um, I wanted to uh, to give you some tools, some ideas for how to work around it. And we're revisiting an interview that I did uh, with Marcel Schwantes. He teaches us how we can take these hard parts of our life and use them to actually reinvent ourselves. The interview is called is about his article he wrote for Inc. Magazine, Timeless Habits That Will Change Your Life. And I start the interview by asking Marcel uh, where he was able to discover these habits. I learned these, Matt, as a result of having made so many mistakes. In fact, I referenced that in, uh, in the first paragraph, I believe, where the, the most horrendous uh, uh, um, uh, thing that happened in my life was a divorce. Yeah. Right? I think you mentioned it. And out of that uh, situation, I had to reinvent myself. Well, what does that mean? I mean, I wanted to be a better person because all of the decisions leading up to that point uh, were about um, self-gratification, it was all about me, not not being a person of service, thinking about the you know uh, other people. So I was uh, probably the most arrogant person I knew at that time. So I knew that I had to I had to figure out a way 
to um, get out of this mindset that was all about serving me and serving my needs. And so as I read and, um, and, and studied and obviously picked up a few degrees along the way and some certifications, I realized, hey, I'm missing the mark here. I need to, I need to, I need to get with the program. And so I began to, um, to put together just kind of a, a template for living the life that I wanted. And some of it came out in that ink article. That's great. I mean, and if if they just could take one idea, it's it's a great, I think, you know, breakthrough for any of us. And in fact, I challenge all of us that as we're listening, which one of these could stand out that we could do immediately? Start this second today to start doing. Marcel, walk us through some of your points um, sure. and, and why they matter so much. I guess the first one is we need, especially. I love the idea when you're down and you just are cornered and you can't. You feel stuck. Uh, number one, choose to live in peace. Talk about that. Yeah. Uh, well, peace is, uh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, Matt, and so I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a, a, a startup mode for my business. And so in getting a launch going and chasing after investors, um, you know, you tend to want to compare yourself with other entrepreneurs that are further down the further down the path. And, and so in, to live in peace for me as a business owner, uh, first and foremost, is not to compare myself, okay, with, uh, with you know, what's, 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 what are the other Joneses doing, right? Yeah. Um, and so living in peace is just focusing on myself and my own path because that's what's going to – and believing in myself that the path that I'm headed down is – and where I am today is exactly where I should be. Um, because once you start to compare yourself and you start to doubt your own ability, you start to doubt uh, uh, where you should be in life, and, and then that just kind of derails you from the path of peace. Right, so yeah. That's number one. Well, I mean, it seems like you start – it's so easy to have that comparative mentality where you're looking at the other people your age or in your industry and you're thinking, oh, man – why are they getting that break? I've been fighting for that break for, and you become so comparative that you can't sit in the space you've been given, the space you are. Right, right. And so, in 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 living in peace, it, it kind of it helps you to stick to the plan and and keep moving forward towards you know towards attaining your vision. Yeah. Another idea, then, I guess, is trusting the process. Uh, is yeah. that the process of life? You know, it's funny is that when when you live in peace, obviously uh, the peace allows you to trust in the process, not only of life, but whatever your current situation is. I talk about surrender as a, a word that uh, a lot of type A's don't like because it comes across as weak. Like, surrender to what? I mean, come on, do, am I giving up all of a sudden? No, the surrender that I'm talking about is just kind of uh, just surrender yourself to the moment, to the outcome. And just believe in the process. What for, so for me is believe in the process that I am exactly where I should be, and that um, you know the business is going to take off, and that uh, I'm going to uh, find you know venture capitalist um, money eventually down the line. If it, you know if that if that's what the, where the process takes me, right? Mm-hmm. But the point is just to surrender to the outcome, because believe me, the opposite of that is uh, is <laughs> is a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress that you don't want to take on. Mm. Especially I look in your industry. I mean, everybody's fighting. They're fighting for the next buck. They're fighting for the Mm. next advantage. So great advice, I guess, in a business world. But really, I can even see in in my own personal life with my own family, 
you know, trusting the process of where I am and what I'm going through. Live happy is another idea you give us. Um, again, how do we how do we get happy, Marcel, when life's not handing us happiness? It's always a choice, Matt. It's always a choice. But um, I I talk about the, the the studies that have been coming out that you you choose your path. Whether you uh, even when things are down and you're going kind of a you know the chips are down, you're going against the grain. Uh, if you choose to get up in the morning today and you tell yourself, today I choose to live happy, and then you create, um, you create your day around uh, things, activities, um, conversations, um, whatever it is that are going to cause you to feel good about yourself. Um, so I mentioned the things in, in, in living happy. Use the tools of meditation, prayer, journaling, right? And of course, the, the mindfulness movement is so popular right now right. because it, it helps you to kind of stay in the moment and not worry about tomorrow, next week, a year from now, and just to kind of stay present to what your current situation is. Because sometimes uh, we tend to blow things out of proportion when it's not that bad. When you compare yourself to, uh, you know, to uh, um, the worst case scenario and, and what, uh, the things that are happening around the world. And when you focus just on okay, where I am right now, you know it's, it could be a, it could be a lot worse. So that comes by choice is to choose to be happy and then, and then create and, and so what happens is when you choose to be happy, good things start to come come back your way. Mm. So there's a uh, there's a, a return on your choice to live happy. Yeah, and, and it seems like once once you've kind of reached that level. Personally, you want to now take it to your relationships, and you mentioned the need to to move to have great relationships as well. Well, that uh, you know the the studies coming up. Uh, I, I reference um, the Harvard study of adult development, where they followed for seventy five years. They followed um, about seven hundred twenty four men in the nineteen thirties throughout the course of their lives, career, marriage, divorce, parenthood, etc. And the response from the, one of the original directors of the study, who, is, by the way, is in the 70s now himself, and he says that the only thing that really matters in life are your relationships to other people. And, and when you studied about the benefits of great relationships, and I'm not talking about quantity, by the way. I'm talking about the quality of your relationships, right? It's been proven that people actually live longer, live happier, um, those that are, are nearing the age of 50 right now, if you are surrounded by a great community of friends and family that uh, you're con- well-connected and you're, you, know, you, you have a, a strong social um, network, by the time you hit 80, you're going, to be, um, you're going to be experiencing better health than those people that kind of are isolated or feel lonely at the age of 50. Hmm. So, absolutely has tremendous benefits. So start forming those relationships now if you're in your 40s and 50s uh, because you're going to live a long life. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's it's true. Your gut kind of tells you that the people matter, but who would have known that it would have such an impact on us? Again, we're speaking with Marcel Schwantes, who wrote an article for um, Inc.com. If you uh, just look up Marcel Schwantes and Inc.com, you'll get right to the article. We're going to take a break, come back, and continue this discussion um, and let you learn more about uh, uh, Mark's work also from Leadership from the Core and uh, some of his servant leadership program and development. We'll take a break. We'll be right back helping you live a healthier life, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. 
Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. And today we're talking with Marcel Schwantes, who wrote an article, 10 Timeless Habits That Will Change Your Life Right Now. He wrote it for Inc.com. You can check it out on Inc.com. And uh, it's really a lot of it just comes from his own personal experiences, but also his work at Leadership from the Core. Uh, Marcel, welcome back to the show. Thank you again for being with us. Good to be here. Thank you. One of the things you mentioned in your article um, is at some point you got to give back and, and choosing to give is something that it's one of those timeless habits that we could do right now. And it would immediately inject, you know, some, I guess, joy, happiness back in our lives. Yeah. And uh, we have to first we have to get out of the um, sort of the, 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 the stigma of giving is that it, it's attached to money. And, that, well, I don't have any money. How can I give? Well, right. we, we can give so much uh, outside of, uh, you know, of, of money. For example, is there a person that you can mentor that you can give your time to and perhaps to teach somebody something new, a skill? Um, uh, is there a, a cause that you can support you can, that you can give of your time, say, to volunteer at a shelter, for example, or support a cause? Um, and, and basically, it's, giving is to have a pay-it-forward mentality, right? That's yeah. a mindset. That's a mindset that we choose. To, to do, to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to be a giver today. In fact, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, I get to go to a lot of networking events, and uh, there's something uh, unusual about most networking events if you've been to, you know, like a chamber of commerce, for example. People show up with their business cards, and it's more of a what, what uh, Adam Grant in his book, Give and Take, calls the, uh, uh, the matchers, right? You show up with your business card, you, you hand your business card, and you get one back. It's, it's kind of a matching thing, right? Scratch your back, I'll scratch yours. You're expecting something in return. Well, in giving, there's another, um, another uh, form of giving, and this is really profound. Uh, a guy by the name of Adam Rifkin is an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur out in the Silicon Valley, and he started something called the five-minute favor. Hmm. And the five-minute favor also is also um, uh, documented in uh, Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, by the way, if you want to pick up a copy. But um, five-minute favor is basically showing up to a networking event and giving something without any expectation of return coming back at you. And so it can be, say, a, a five-minute favor where you uh, connect somebody um, to somebody, you make an introduction. Um, or you write a quick review of someone's book, um, you know, or just, uh, you know, or even uh, critique somebody's resume. So it's, it's, it's giving a selfless act, basically. And these five-minute favors are popping up now um, and all over the country. And what's happening is people are coming, and, and, and it's, it's becoming so popular. And what they're finding is that those people that give, um, even without expecting anything in return, the return is going to be even higher in the long term. So they're going to experience even more success by giving without expecting anything mm. back. Yeah. And it almost seems like this gets to your deeper core, the, the deeper person that you are. You're deeper than your business that you're selling to, you know, at these, at these events. Instead, let me just connect with you one-on-one, person-to-person. Yeah, that's correct. And, you know, it helps to foster sort of that 
servant leadership mentality yeah. that um, that we're that we're hopefully going to be touching on in a, in a few minutes here. In fact, but, um, talk yeah, to, get does, to that because that's part of what I see as as I look at some of your final um, uh, points. Um, mm-hmm. Choose compassion and kindness. Choose to have faith. Choose the good fight. Mm-hmm. Make decisions full of integrity. These are. These are kind of virtues, right? These are – I guess they're not always seen as business principles per se, but these are things that you're saying will immediately drive you to some state of happiness. It's uh, That's true. In a state of happiness, whether in your personal life or uh, in your business life. Right. They work you know, there too. Right. And and so the these as you as you as we round out here, um, they're really tenants of a servant leader, somebody that puts the needs of others first. Obviously, if you're going to exercise compassion and kindness, it's not about you, right? Right. Um, and uh, in fact, I I want to reference something that uh, I saw recently. Um, you know, Sean Acker is the best-selling author, and he's that uh, scientist that sat down with Oprah and basically told her um, the. Uh, five steps to, to, to kind of train your brain to become more positive. And he told Oprah that one of the things that people do, that, uh, according to his research, obviously, this is, you know, there's empirical evidence here to suggest that you, you can become happier by doing this every day. And he says, express compassion and kindness. Basically, all it takes is for two minutes a day, you write a text or write an email uh, praising or thanking someone you know. And that's it. And you do it, you know, hmm. for a different person each day. And what Sean Acker is saying, and, you know, and he, he says this in his wildly popular TED Talk, by the way, you can look it up. He says that people who do this become known as positive leaders with strong social connect- connections. And it's, it's the, the greatest predictor of long-term happiness. Wow. It comes from extending that kindness, kindness and that compassion. And, hey, you can start today by doing it two minutes a day. <laughs> Talk about, as we wrap this up, I always like to ask the one thing. So if, mm. if we've talked about 10 different points plus many more, and if there's one thing that we could just do today, every one of us, simple, basic, what would you say is the one thing that would make the biggest change in your life right now? Uh, for me, I think that it, this speaks to my personal um, vision, my personal goals in life, and but, but that is to give. Um, I, you know, the giving part. Uh, yeah. The whole purpose uh, for me to establish a business is to create enough wealth to give back, to pay it forward. And, and, and our, my wife and I have this personal mission where um, we want to fight the and, and help to end the sex trafficking problems that we see across the country. And I'm in, I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we have it here. We have a problem with that here in our own backyard. And so, obviously, we want to support the causes that, that fight uh, uh, sex trafficking and human trafficking. And mm. so that's, that, that is a whole purpose for creating wealth through our different businesses and ventures is to be able to give back towards that cause. That's beautiful. And I, I love the cause as well. So uh, we'll have to get you back on, Marcel. We'll keep watching your latest uh, writings as well. And I guess is the best place for them to get a hold of you at leadershipfromthecore.com? That's it, leadershipfromthecore.com, or you can find me on Inc., like you mentioned. That's it. Marcel Schwantes, thank you so much for your great work. Keep it up. My pleasure. Thank you. Again, go check him out on Inc.com as well, or leadershipfromthecore.com. There's power, folks, and little steps, simple things, and they seem sometimes just like too easy, but why aren't we doing them? 
helping you live a healthier life, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Man, you know, the show just flies right by when you're learning about time. And uh, now is the special time, folks, where we get to shoot it down to our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem, find out what's coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. Sports. Sports. How are you? We're pretty good. Are you guys ready? I mean, do do you feel like you've got a good show, a good lineup today? When do we not feel I mean, that way? That's a great I'm not going to tell you when we don't feel that way. <laughs> that's a great point. But you have. You, you, oh, great. man, we've got a terrible show on, Our show on is the tap bite. today, man. <laughs> I'm glad you don't I'm, tune in in 12 minutes. You don't want to see the train wreck. To hear the, yeah, no, it's going to be a fun show. You will waste an hour of your life if you choose to listen to or watch the show. Oh, there's no wasting watching there, your show. Right now is a fun time because fall camp is one week away from the first practice. One yes. week from today. Yeah. Six days away from our fall camp preview show. Every day we're previewing different position groups. Today, wide receiver and tight end. So if you want to dominate the water cooler chat at yeah. work, yeah, yeah. This you want to listen it. to BYU Sports Nation because we're going to plug in. Who are, who are the newcomers that are going to impact things? Who are the returning guys in each position? So you know the whole team, how to say their names, what's <laughs> going on, who's, who's going to be a big player this year and whatnot. So, so really, th- this is how we learn. It's like a translation pronunciation show. It's funny yes. that you say that because uh, we will talk about Eric Mika's new contract with the pro team uh-huh. and how to pronounce that team's name. It, because it's... He, let's just say he's going a little Italian. That's right. But there's a way to pronounce it. Oh, yes, and we just went over the proper pronunciation with an Italian expert. How, how, oh, really? How long do you guys spend practicing saying it? Longer than we prep the entire show. It's about an hour. <laughs> really? Yeah, in reality, approximately two minutes uh, we use to discuss the proper pronunciations yeah. of all that. When you think about it, it's kind of it's kind of sad that it takes that much work. You know, it seems like it should be more natural to you both. Having both you know traveled what? and had foreign vacations for You're, two years. Yeah, yeah. I just worked out for two years. But, yeah, you know, you just you just got to bring it. Yeah. If it, you don't, then you won't. You that's, know? I know. that's one of my life themes. That's what, by the way, that's the exact feedback we got from Don about our last show. That's you got to bring it. And uh, if you don't, then if you, if you don't, then you I'd didn't. update your LinkedIn. <laughs> that's right. Get your LinkedIn out there. Hey, um, a question for you. If you had to lose a thumb because let's say you had an accident, like one of our stories we were talking about earlier, okay, would you be willing to take your your big toe and have it attached to where your thumb should be? No. Y- you wouldn't no go way. that far. No, that's nope. Weird. No, that's and, and what would be the what's the what what's the aversion? Other than the fact that you'd have a big thumb, big other thick than that fact, sorry, that is the fact. With just a little patch of That's hair like, on it. Other besides winning and losing, uh, what do you hope to accomplish? In this game? Uh, like you would have no game, no game. You mean I, like like no? Am I married or not married at this point in this hypothetical situation? Let's say you're married with and, and cute little jacks. Can't you see cute little jacks just running Grabbing up my and big toe thumb? Yeah, and no. saying, "Daddy, Daddy, why is your thumb so huge?" <laughs> 
Daddy, you need to clip weird. your thumbnail. <laughs> it's super weird. Is right? that weird uh, for you? Okay. Yeah, this guy this guy was a little weirded out by it, but apparently you don't need you don't need your um your big toe as much as you need your thumb, and they actually really work interchangeably. Yeah. I mean sure it's squattier. It's a squattier thumb, you know? <laughs> it's a thicker, squattier thumb, but Honestly, I just think your grip would be incredible. I want to know what percentage of the world have ever even had this thought that we are discussing right I know. now. See that's, what that, see, that's the difference with our show. That's the, those are the thoughts we bring. Minuscule percentages, <laughs> right? Very few would waste any time on this subject. Hoping to tap into that demo for our yeah. show today. But again, I just want you to know that there is the technology. So if you lose your thumb... And I would imagine if you lose a finger, you could maybe put a middle toe on there, you know? Yeah, if you want to look like Kristen Wiig's character in the... Yeah, uh, with the little Saturday the Night Live. Skit, yeah, with the little the hands. Lawrence Welk show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I good. found a dead cat on the side of the road, and I put some honey on it, and I ate it. Is that a good thing to do, 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 do? And I'm putting so my little weird. hands together and clapping. So weird. That is the greatest... <laughs> She is my favorite actress, and that is my favorite thing she ever has done. Because anything that relates to Lawrence Welk, you know, is going to be big. Oh, yeah. Oh, Grandma. So um, talk to me about your show. What else is going to be on your show minus toes for thumbs? And Eric Mika polishing up his Italian. That's right. Let's see. Mitch Matthews will join us. Ah, yes. Because we're going to preview the wide receivers and tight end. So we're going to mm-hmm. talk to a BYU guy in the NFL. He's with the Dolphins right now. Sweet. He's trying to make an NFL roster. Uh, he's been off discussed on this program. We're going to bring on Mitch Matthews. In my yeah. least favorite city in all of America. Ooh. Miami. <gasps> really? Oh, that's right. You lost a phone there one week. And my wallet. And your wallet. And you barely, you almost lost your wife. And BYU had a fight there. Oh, that's right. You had a Wait, bad. What? You had a bad week. It was a bad week. Well, that wasn't the same week. I couldn't get home from Florida because I had no license in the airport. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Off air, I want to tell you how Spencer got through the airport with no license. <laughs> Off the air. Okay, yeah. I, I'm dying to. Oh, yeah. interesting. Off the air. Okay, yeah. Let's just say we don't I'm want kind legal of a big deal, Matt. <laughs> did, did, yeah, did you have to show him who you are? Yeah, you had to play video from your show. Off air. Okay, okay. Off air, bro. Away, man. But did you... Kind did, of a did, big did, deal. Kind of a big deal. Did the TSA... I'm sure they searched you more. Well, luckily... His, yeah, luckily his wardrobe smelled of rich mahogany. And then they were like, oh, you have many leather-bound books? You're in. You're in, man. You're Baxter serious. Baxter was the way I got through. Oh, this Mark is... twice if you're in Milwaukee. <laughs> you guys... Um, I, I have not heard this backstory, so I'm excited yeah, yeah. for off air to happen. And then, then you can decide if it's worthy of air. You make the call. Well, I think Big you and your attorneys them. really ought to decide, Spence. <laughs> okay. I don't know that we ought to leave that on up it. to me. On it. Okay, so a little Mitch Matthews. That'll little be Mitch exciting. Matthews, a little yeah. Eric Mika talk. Big deal, no we're, deal. We're discussing wide receivers and tight ends. Like, who in the world is going to catch the passes from Tanner Mangum this year? Because yeah. when you look at who's coming back, there is not a lot of experience in terms of Pass catching. Right. Yet the coaches remain confident and they reiterated that on signing day. Why? Hmm. Why is that? Hmm. Dive into that today. That's huge. And if they had a toe for a thumb, they'd probably catch more. And they probably wouldn't be playing receiver for BYU. Plus, they could kick a field goal oh. if they needed to. 
Yeah, with their hand. You know what? That's a great that show, guys. Well, well, the dude that. that held the the longest field goal kick in NFL history did have a club foot. Did he? I mean, yeah, that's right. And, no, that's until right. Jason Elam broke it. That's right. Now, see? See? Everybody can contribute. Amazing. Well, thumbs up to you both, or a toe up, depending how you look at it. <laughs> Hope you have a great show. I will be watching for sure. Don't want to miss that. That's BYU Sports Nation, folks. It's only five minutes away. These guys are legit. They're so legit, sometimes they don't even need ID to get on airplanes. That's how legit they are. Hey, we told you earlier about uh, a story of an 11-year-old girl pulled over for speeding, but it was all okay because she had mom's permission. Texas police say they pulled the car over going 45 in a 35-mile-per-hour zone, and they found an 11-year-old girl at the wheel with her 10-year-old brother in the passenger seat. Ooh, now that's double bad. They were partying. But when police contacted the mother, they found that the girl had her permission to drive unsupervised. The police say the children had been at their aunt's house, but instead of driving them back home, the aunt asked their mother, 25-year-old Maria de Jesus Lopez, if the girl could just drive herself and her brother back home. The aunt was probably tired. Or something else. I don't want to drive, everybody. Lopez agreed, and her 11-year-old daughter climbed into the Dodge Durango and stepped on the gas. When the police pulled her over for speeding, she denied it. I'm not speeding. By the way, a typical 11-year-old. The length of the drive between the aunt's home and the Lopez's home is about two or three miles. So was she, was this lady arrested? Was this mom arrested? No. Apparently, really? uh, actually, no, sorry, Lopez was arrested yeah. and charged on two counts of child endangerment. Boy, we have that's audio from the arrest. Uh, the girl said it hadn't been the first time she drove, but it was her first time driving without adult supervision. Normally, mom's here. Yeah, so it's the first oh. time. Yeah, and the brother's like, yeah, I can hardly wait till it's my turn to drive next year. <laughs> yeah, the 11-year-old driving age. So, uh, parents, you wow, know, no, just just get out. Get out and take care of things. Uh, also, a little audio here for you. If your husband snores a lot, you could, um, you could just do what this woman did. She was so tired of her husband's, you know, incessant snoring that she recorded every one of his snoring episodes for apparently about four years. And then... When worse came, when push came to shove, she put it all together in a little replay of Justin Bieber's Despacito. Mm. <laughs> Despacito, such a great, uh, such a great song, and then she posted it on Facebook, where uh, I guess a really popular. A social media person put it out there and bada boom, bada bing. It got a lot of play. And now her husband is famous. And they're probably not talking. It's sad. It's sad. I think they're your 2 o'clock today, aren't they? Yeah, they're my 2 o'clock. Yeah. They'll be great. Despacito. Hey, a Chick-fil-A employee saves a choking coworker during his lunch break. That's our hero of the day. An employee at the Colorado Chick-fil-A saved his coworker with the Heimlich maneuver. Uh, anyone should be so lucky as to have Andrew Myrant as a coworker. Myrant, a college student at, and Chick-fil-A employee working in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, is being called a hero. The incident, uh, which was captured by a security camera, took place while the two employees were on break. Myron and his coworker were eating lunch in a corner booth when the worker stands up, sips his beverage, and starts slapping his chest. 
pretty much the international signs for Heimlich, help. And Myron quickly leaps into action, grabbing his coworker around the stomach, delivering a few quick, forceful thrusts to his abdomen, and uh, the obstruction was dislodged. He's now, uh, you know, back to high school. No big deal. Sure, you're a hero and everything. Yeah, sure, you saved somebody's life. But have you done your homework? Okay. Okay, you're no longer a hero. Just do your homework, Andrew. Anyway, he's a hero anyway. That's why we make him the hero of the day. Pretty cool stuff, folks. Again, to be a hero, you don't have to do anything crazy or out of the way. Many times the best heroes are just mom and dads being great mom and dads, being attentive, serving each other. That's why we give you the show and do the show to to give you all the latest and greatest ideas for how you can live a healthier, happier life. Now, we'll be back again tomorrow. The show is over, but it's uh, not the end of BYU Radio. BYU Sports Nation's up next. You're not going to want to miss it. Stick with us.